Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by my TNA correspondent, Duncan Joyce. How's things? Hello, Lee. (laughs) Everything's nice in the impact zone here. (laughs) And as you've probably guessed, we're back for episode 39, looking at the Elimination Chamber up against Against All Odds. So, to... It, more sort of steps along the way before we get to the big Monday Night War. How are you feeling about the journey so far? Mm, it's been an education so far, yeah. I can't wait for the next one coming up after this. But yeah, there, there are certain things that happened across these two shows that maybe, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Kind of like validated why we were doing this for me. Can't wait. I think you're going to make me watch one of the, I think, the three WrestleManias I've never seen. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, there's only, like, it's in this period is the only time I've ever not watched WrestleMania in my whole life, so I've not been back and watched them since either. Wow, that was probably the first WrestleMania I didn't buy on DVD since I became a fan. Other than um, X8 and 19, because Kyle taped them for me anyway. (laughs) I think X8 was the last one I got before they started blurring and censoring WWF over here. So that was an awesome DVD for me. Oh, yes. Oh, I remember those days. Yeah. But before we get there, we've got a big stop on the road here. So Elimination Chamber comes to us from a venue I've watched wrestling at, the Scott Trade Center in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, I went what to, show was that? Uh, Survivor Series 2014. Oh, it's the Sting one, right? The Sting debut and the what oh. looked like the big repush of Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> oh, who was... I I'd heard recently he was like a stand-in for someone else. Like someone else is supposed to be in that spotlight in the team. But I'm not shocked. My, my big claim to fame on that is two things. If you watch it on the network, you'll see me second row ringside with my Manchester City scarf through the whole show. So once you go and watch, <laughs> you definitely spot me. And secondly, big shows on Team Cena, I guess it was, um, against Team Authority. And he tags in the ring next to Mark Henry. And I stood up and I just went, no, st- sorry, he gets in the ring. He gets in the ring next to one of them. And it was either Mark Henry or Cena. My memory's fa- fuzzy now. And I just stood up out my seat and yelled, big show, punch him. And at that exact moment, he turned around, turned heel and laid out his partner. <laughs> I think it might have been Mark Henry to send him out. Like, I called it dead on a second before it happened. It was great. I think he eliminated Mark Henry in, like, the first 30 seconds with a knockout punch. Yeah. I saw it coming a mile away. It was great. (laughs) And, uh, by the way, the only arena I went to in America, I went to a lot of arenas, not for wrestling. That was the only show that I caught, but I went to a lot of NBA and hockey games. It was the only one that didn't have Wi-Fi, so I couldn't even tweet while I was there. Oh, man. Yeah, live behind the times. This show, however, drew 17,000 um, in the arena and 300,000 pay-per-view buys, so not too shabby there at all. On the other hand, against all odds, back in the impact zone, seemed to increase the capacity from last time out and got 11,000 in, probably to do with the slightly different stage they were using this time around, and drew a best estimate on pay-per-view of about 15,000. Mm-hmm. I think the 900 was when they had the two entrance ways. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like back in 2006 or whatever. So a bit of a bit of a change there. Four, four-sided ring as well. So. Four sides, brother. <laughs> um, although, well, I might as well mention it now. Um, I noticed the lighting rigs, the blubber ring, still had six sides on them. <laughs> poor, poor arena choice. 
Oh dear. Terrible. Which which um show did you watch first? I watched The Chamber first. Ah, oh, we're in sync for once. We've both watched the same oh, yeah. show. Yeah. So in that case then, should we head over and just hit the elimination chamber straight up? Let's punch it. The road to WrestleMania is about to take a most diabolical turn. Ahead, two miles of chain link and 16 tons of bone-crushing steel casts an ominous shadow on this journey. Enter the Chamber of Horrors, a paradise of pain, the most diabolical structure ever defined. So the Elimination Chamber opens up with the usual WWF, sorry, I'll never get used to saying WWE, the usual WWE slick entrance package, and we've got an interesting commentary combination of Michael Cole, Jerry the King Lawler, and Matt Stryker. I say interesting now, but it doesn't stay that way. Oh boy. Um, Did you notice in the opening video package, they used the same abstract road to WrestleMania as they did in the Rumble one? It's very, very cliche. Oh, boy. It's like, it's literally a road. We're pounding this metaphor over your head right here. Yeah, and we're, we're pretty soon we're going to name one of the pay-per-views Roadblock. Oh, could be worse, though. Have you, have you heard the latest one? Oh, Great Balls of Fire. What the fuck is that? Great Balls of Fire. Someone was saying it's very sort of um, progress chapter name. Like, they name things after songs and take the piss a bit. It's awful. And before we get started, just a little warning to everyone. I pretty much could have filled the entire pay-per-view notes of just Matt Stryker's commentary word for word. It is bad. So, if you get sick of hearing it, so did I. Work with me. (laughs) I think I've got more on the other two, to be honest. I don't know why, but yeah. I'd be interested to hear what you picked up here. This is going to be great. We might be able to do it back track for track. When I I looked up what the TNA pay-per-view was, knowing we were going to do this, I didn't actually click that it was Elimination Chamber in February by this point. So when I flicked in and found it, I was like, oh, great, awesome. And then we start the pay-per-view off and we open up with a WWE title, Elimination Chamber. So this was an awesome way to start. We've got John Cena up against Ted DiBiase Jr., Randy Orton, Triple H, Kofi Kingston, and Sheamus defending his title. So, not a bad way to start. John Cena literally curtain jerking. He's the first guy out in the show. I know. He got um, a a big reaction one way or another during that entrance as well. The crowd were either booing or cheering, but it was very loud. Mm -hmm. The, um, the, The sort of 
downplay let's go Cena Cena sucks of today seems a little tame by comparison. So it's, what, yeah, it's probably turned a bit more negative nowadays, which is a surprise because he's a much better wrestler. And yeah, I don't mind a bit of John Cena these days. I can tolerate him. Yeah. Back, so we, we get started with um, Sheamus and Kofi Kingston, which is a good combination to start off. And Sheamus going for a movie becomes famous for, or he's already famous for, the early brogue kick. Goes to nail Kofi from the off, but misses it, thankfully. So we don't have five minutes of Sheamus standing around waiting. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you spot as well when Kofi was going into the chamber, he kind of glanced over his shoulder nervously? Because last year he got um, he got jumped by Edge and Edge took his place in the Elimination Chamber match. No, I didn't spot that. That's an awesome story. Sheamus does take control early on, however, with a back elbow, a shoulder block, and a hip toss out from inside the ring to outside, but Kofi lands on his feet, avoiding it. He then comes back in with a crossbody for a two count as the crowd erupt into a big Cena sucks chant. So the reaction definitely going there for Cena early. Now, uh, really, lots of reaction for Randy Orton as well, being his hometown. Yeah. Than an RKO chant. Very over. Uh, this is the first match striker instance of a very, very long night here where he's trying to be poetic and just killing me. And he calls... Um, Seamus and Kofi, virgins of the chamber, and then he calls this their chance to flirt with immortality. Virgins to this chamber. Oh yeah, awful, awful. Um, did you catch the um, the Seamus sort of? I don't know what, what you might know what he calls it. It's like a rock bottom into a backbreaker that he gets for a near fall. That's a really cool spot. Yeah, the Irish curse. Yeah, I liked that. And yeah, then, it was uh, his finisher in ECW before they gave him even cooler moves. Yeah, I quite I thought that was a really good spot, which sort of kept me in a good mood for about 10 more seconds before Matt Stryker asks, how will these two react when first kissed by the steel? Ah, oh, joy. It's, it's getting bad. <laughs> um, the next one out from the chamber, from the pod, I should say, into the chamber is Triple H, and when his pod's opening, an awesome evil smile. Brilliant, brilliant. One of the like Triple H has had a career that's been full of this great iconography and this image of Triple H in the chamber with the spotlight on it, grinning like a motherfucker is just fantastic. And why wouldn't it be? They tell us he's won four of the six chambers he's been in. Oh yeah, yeah, he um yeah, he has a very good record in this in this match. Yeah, so really cool um, little moment there. We get a bit of a stare down and he comes in and begins to immediately trade back and forth with Seamus while Kofi has a big nap on the outside. <laughs> um, it's impossible not to see anymore now that it's become like a um, a fixation of Smarks during multi-man matches. I'm just, I never, ever really cared, but now I just see it everywhere. Well, it's a fixation of Smarks when Roman's doing it. They couldn't give a toss if it was anyone else. <laughs> yep. Oh, I see it with everyone now. Um, we get a cool high knee from Triple H for a two count, a short clothesline for a two count, and they both block uh, both block shots to the fence on the outside, so neither of them want to go in face first too early. Um, and I'm just going to note here, someone please tell Kofi his alarm's gone off. He's been out for about four minutes now. <laughs> Um, from there, Triple H hits a DDT for a two count, and Kofi does come back into the ring and hits Sheamus with a crossbody for a two count, and goes for a ten punch spot. And I'm thinking power bomb here in the chamber, but no. Yeah, the boom drop, but he but, like springboards over the ropes onto Triple H on the outside. 
Really cool. Um, Sheamus then nails Kofi for a two count, and we get the third man into the match, and it's Randy Orton, and he's very over, as you said earlier. It comes in, and he immediately takes control on Sheamus and Triple H, hits a nice European uppercut on Kofi, and Matt Striker pops back in with this little doozy. The venomous viper is making this concrete jungle his own. It's made out of metal. <laughs> Oh my god, and just stop trying. Just don't even talk. <laughs> Orton sends Sheamus into the fence, then sends Triple H into the fence, and when they're all on the outside, Kofi Kingston comes off the top rope and nails all three of them, so that was pretty cool as well. Kofi then springboards into Randy Orton, eating a drop kick. Uh, Triple H hits knees to Orton, and then Orton comes back with a power slam. Uh, Triple H goes for the pedigree. And he gets backdropped out for his trouble. Favorite Triple H spot. Goes over the top rope to the steel. Kofi then gets thrown out onto the steel. And we get our fourth man into the match, Ted DiBiase. This is really cool here when DiBiase comes in the interaction with Randy Orton. Um, At first, they attack Triple H. And then we've got Sheamus um, on the outside forcing Kofi Kingston's head through. They look like they'd gimmicked one of the the squares of chain because he was trying to force his head through one, gave up and moved it and stuck it through another one. So I imagine that first bit really bloody hurt. Yeah, there was one that was noticeably larger than the others in terms of the spacing. Orton didn't spot it quite as quickly as everybody else did, unfortunately. No. But no, that was a really cool spot. Kofi had his head stuck in there for quite a while as well. I can't imagine he was in too much of a rush to try and yank it back out. Um, Back inside the ring, we've got... um, Oh, sorry, before we get back in, after he had his head shoved through, Sheamus puts him in a Boston Crab. That was impressive. I really liked that. Yeah, that was brilliant on the spots of this match, really. Yeah, awesome stuff. And then a near, and followed up by a really sick spot as well. Orton gets a hold of Triple H and is going to put him into his, um, you know, he's, he's got him in the DDT position for his DDT off the ropes. And Ted DiBiase says, no, 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 turn him around and do it on the steel, which he does. And that is really bloody cool. Triple H always bumps like a champion in these chamber matches. Yeah, he's, hats off to him. Yeah. Um, the, when the, we, from there, we were just waiting for Cena to come out, and when his pod does go off, he comes in with a big explosion going over everyone, five knuckle shuffles, the old throwback, which is at move of Cena's I quite miss, I thought that was always one of my favourites that he did, and this top rope famouser, which actually won a King of the Ring for one man once upon a time. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, I thought it was quite clever. Orton and DBLC clocked that Cena was going to be out in a minute and they like waited around his pod for him to come out. Yeah, absolutely. Really cool storytelling throughout this whole match. Um, from there, we've got an attitude adjustment onto Ted DiBiase outside, to the outside of the ring. And then we get an STF, but Orton makes a save. So really, really cool. Um, We've then got Cody coming out with a pipe. So apparently the story was here, Orton had told him not to come and interfere. But he's running out with a pipe to try and help them out. He throws it in. um, Orton tries to shoo him away, doesn't want it. He throws it in. DiBiase gets a hold of the pipe, swings, and then accidentally hits Orton. And then realize Orton's down, pins him, and eliminates him. So very, very cool. Yeah, this whole progression of Randy Orton towards his face turn has been pretty darn well done, actually. Like, the previous pay-per-view, they had him against Sheamus, so he's had the automatic baby face being the more established man. And Mm -hmm. 
now they're running into here where he's in his hometown and you know he's got to get loud positive reactions again it's just a really great way to reinforce that he's due a character change and he's going to be a, a big time baby face i also say hats off to the wwe here in this instance where they've got really three established names and two not so established and one sort of coming up in Sheamus and they got one of the big names out first without hurting anyone's credibility. They didn't let Cena Orton and Triple H run through everyone else first. So it was really cool storytelling. Mm, yeah. One thing I will say though, um, this is yet another chamber match that started to, this is a match structure that kind of crept into the last ages where they, they can't seem to bring themselves to eliminate anybody. Like, there's so many nowadays where all six people are in the match right when the final person comes out. And it's just like, oh, come on. It kind of feels like when I play a, a Royal Rumble with my action figures and I'd, like, try and keep everyone. It's like, oh, but no, but I'm not done playing with them yet. I'm just, <laughs> just clear someone out, you know. Just, this is the deadly elimination chamber. I like that you said when I play, implying that that still goes on. <laughs> I don't have a ring anymore. I've got two. I could I... loan you one. <laughs> <laughs> Literally in my flat nowadays, I've got two Kane figures, a Daniel Bryan figure, and a Finn Balor figure. I've gone insane lately. I've bought everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've seen some of your displays have been brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's, I've got so much stuff still coming. Every day I've got parcels. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a dream like the other month for. I went and bought a, st- a Crow Sting action figure, so now I really want a Crow Sting action figure. I've got that. <laughs> no. But uh, awesome, awesome. I was really props f- for um, letting one of the, you know, I-, I think letting DiBiase pull one over on Orton here as well, so I'm very impressed with that. From there, though, he doesn't last much longer because Kofi hits him with the trouble in paradise and eliminates him with the one, two, three, sending him out. And then Kofi eats a bro kick from Sheamus, followed by a... I'm sure he's got a different name for it, but it's a massive Razor's Edge. Just really launches him for a 1-2-3, and Kofi's gone as well. So, as you said, all six guys in at once, but then the eliminations come pretty rapid fire there. Yeah, the Razor's Edge, I think, was one of at least three moves that Sheamus did that got called the Celtic Cross at one point. (laughs) I really like that one he does where he holds them behind his back and drops on them. Oh, I think it's called an air raid crash. Uh, that used to be that was my finisher for my guy in Day of Reckoning 1 or 2 I think it was on GameCube back in the day god you had a GameCube damn right I did yeah (laughs) awesome (laughs) from there we've got Seamus begins to beat down on Cena before Triple H comes in and hits a pedigree on Seamus eliminating him for a 1-2-3 so we're guaranteed a new champion now between Triple H and John Cena um, Cena... Meet the new champ, same as the old champ. Yeah, pretty much. It was going to be one of these two, wasn't it, if they were going to move the title here this close to WrestleMania. Cena locks in and STF, and just like that, Triple H taps out. I was stunned. I thought there was going to be a lengthy sequence between these two, but no. Cena picks up the win and is the new champion. Um, so the Elimination Chamber match, pretty good. I enjoyed that for the most part. I thought the storytelling was pretty good. Um, the characters involved were a good mix of established and up-and-comers, and the action was pretty good. Really awesome open. I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was very, very pleased with this match, yeah, um, especially as far as Kofi and Legacy using the environment of the Chamber. I thought they did that really well. It, 
again probably sagged a bit i felt but still i was really entertained by this i think this is still in the days where i think the chamber it was about eight years old by now wasn't it but i I don't know if it's the time or just this match in particular but they managed to space the big spots with the chamber out so they were impactful and it wasn't just bang steel bang broken glass into the fence you know it, it meant something every time the chamber was used for sure from there, we've got something I probably didn't enjoy quite as much. Cena's handed the title, and out comes Vince McMahon. I actually wrote in my notes, out comes VKM, and then I realized after the last episode, I probably better correct <laughs> It's definitely Vince. It is not BG and Kip. in my house! <laughs> Michael Hickenbottom! <laughs> we'll be waiting for you at the Alamo! <laughs> But no, it's definitely Vince. He's out. Um, and he announces that we're going to see Batista challenge John Cena for the title, and it's going to happen right now. Now, Cena's basically dead in the ring. And my only issue with this, because I've just talked about how great the storytelling was and giving them big props, Cena came out last, and then everyone began being eliminated instantly. This He's done no more damage than in a Raw main event but he's selling that he's been in the most grueling hour-long match of his life, dead on the floor. Can't even take the title from the referee for a good 20, 30 seconds because he's too exhausted. It just it doesn't work. I made the exact same point. I said, Cena was in last. Why is he so knackered? <laughs> so Batista comes out, and it's like, inter- in- sorry, instantly, spear, Batista bomb, one, two, three, Batista takes the belt from him, and... I've seen Cena take beatings 10 times worse than this and still get the one, two, three. So, yeah, I didn't really love this personally. The idea of Batista coming out and taking it like Edge did at the Chamber is fine, but put Cena in there first. Yeah, I love the... I think I was the same as you. I love the idea of this more than the execution. Although, right from the get-go, Dave's out, he's got this massive shitty grin on his face, and Cena gets one right hand and like wipes the look on his face and then he's like okay i'm gonna kill you now yeah which you know that worked it's just the two don't work together Mm -hmm. i'm just all for (laughs) big dave it is oh i'm not kissing babies and hugging fat girls run (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i think we got that to look forward to in our timeline actually yeah well actually i'm looking forward to see what happens with the titles at mania now so i'm very interested definitely still in the dark period for me well speaking of of which um, King says after that incident, it's like, oh, John Cena, he can kiss WrestleMania goodbye. That's what's on John Cena's mind. Like, Have you ever watched wrestling? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not going to not be on WrestleMania just because he's not the champion. I'm oh. pretty sure they'll fit him into that nine-hour card somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> he might get three matches just to fill out the time. Um, from there, we get a throwback to Monday Night Raw, where we saw Bret Hart, Cena's new best bud, get his leg broken in a car accident. So this was um, a little peculiar. I, I told you that I really tuned out right after Bret came back. I just wanted to see Bret, and then I was, I'd had my fill and was back out again. This, I'm glad I hadn't watched at the time, because Bret Hart suddenly being best friends with John Cena just would not have washed with me, like... Oh, they they just they do it with Roman now. Everyone that's important is is put in with him. Roman gets the Superman puncher, ninety six year old Vince. Roman gets Triple H at WrestleMania. Like you can't just put all the top guys around someone until they feel like a top guy. You've got to do more work than that. There's one 
Brett promo that I really, really hope we get in our timeline when he has this injury because it's just one line that he says that's just indelibly left in my head. It's just dawned on me then. This is going to be Brett and Vincent Mania, isn't it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I can't wait. I've heard so much about that match. (laughs) But a match I hadn't heard so much about is our second contest of the evening, and it's Drew McIntyre defending his Intercontinental Championship against Kane. Against Kane! That's got to be Drew McIntyre. He looks 12 years old. (laughs) <laughs> he he looks so much like more cutesy without his big beard that he has now. He's um, a man that needs a beard. <laughs> his music as well, I'm sure. I, I don't know what you thought of it. I thought it was cool. It, it's basically just like a knockoff of Metallica's version of Turn the Page. So now I've been to indie shows and you know there's a group of wrestlers that actually use that as their entrance it's kind of lost its impact a bit but yeah it's just really awesome like the build-up and the and the like the sudden thing when he hits the curtain no that's good stuff i, I liked it they don't do him any favors like I, I found this quite interesting considering he was meant to be vince's chosen one before the matches even started lawler gets in this line that um drew mcintyre has had a charisma bypass Normally the kiss Jesus. of death when the commentators start calling you boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, when we get started, they exchange strikes pretty early on, and Kane comes flying off the top rope early in the match, so we're going to get some high intensity here nice and early. He hits a drop kick as well to a seated Drew McIntyre, which was cool. Uh, shoulder block for a two count, and then starts going to his a favorite weapon of choice in this match, the side headlock takedown. Yeah, what the hell is <laughs> The layout of this match is, is very odd, and this is where it begins right from the off. Headlock by Kane, what the hell? I, I'm watching this match thinking it feels like when I had um, one of the early SmackDown games on PlayStation, and I'd go out and leave my friend playing it, and he'd go in and change a wrestler's moveset entirely. <laughs> Come home and pick them, and suddenly Kane's doing a fucking 450 splash for a finisher. But no, side headlock takedown. He then comes back with a swinging neck breaker for a two count. So definitely had it changed up completely. And it's all Kane early on. Drew McIntyre does fight back and he hits a short arm clothesline. But Kane completely no-sells it. And then hits a big clothesline of his own. Drew McIntyre goes after the leg of Kane, spotting a weakness. But then gives up on that idea and immediately starts attacking the arm, which was a little bit peculiar. Yeah, and Lawler completely and utterly shits on it. He's like, if you can get Kane to submit to that hold, I'll give you my crown. <laughs> and then I, th- I think Michael Cole is it tries to rescue it, saying you might stop him using the choke slam. But yeah, K- King obviously was not a big Drew McIntyre fan. Oh, well, I wonder what happened there. McIntyre hits a cool jumping arm breaker on Kane, and then a reverse arm breaker as well, uh, before he hits a lovely big boot as well on Kane. Kane then backdrops out of um, McIntyre's underhook DDT attempt, hits a big boot of his own, and then the big Kane uppercut, which gets him a two count. Sidewalk slam gets him a two count, and he goes up top again for a top rope clothesline. McIntyre avoids a choke slam, and then boots Kane off the apron, and attempt, oh sorry, Kane boots McIntyre off the apron, and Drew McIntyre attempts to leave. Um, the referee gets in the way, he's having none of it. Drew comes back though um, for a th- with a thumb to the eye, and then hits Kane with his under- underhook DDT, they call the future shock for the 1-2-3, picks up the impressive victory. Big scalp, maybe not the best 
display of his talent. So it was all Kane, and then he tried to get out of dodge, and then he come back and got the cheap victory. So a, a heel win, but didn't get to showcase a lot in this. Well, I was going to say, you call it an impressive victory. is in terms of like the name of who he's beaten, but this match really didn't do a lot for me. Such a strange layout with the way Kane controlled the match, and... I just found Drew a bit dull and all over the place, like going through the leg and then the arm. And... He never really got an extended heat sequence in this match, did he? He sort of would get a little bit of offense and then immediately Kane would just shake it off and, and come back at him. It, I mean, it kind of makes sense in the sense that you don't really want Kane to be selling for long periods of time, being the monster or whatever, but yeah. still. No, it was what it was. Not the best matchup, but we'll sort of give them a pass mark after that chamber and see if it picks up from here. Um, we then go to a little backstage disagreement between Maurice and Gail Kim, where it's quite obvious Maurice is putting Gail Kim down in French, and then the sort of punchline to this whole thing is Gail Kim can speak French and fires right back in French, none of which I understand. Swerve. <laughs> and then we're going to go to Gail Kim versus Maurice, but another interesting note from Matt Stryker on the commentary. I'll love to see what you thought about this one. He says, the thing about a Gail Kim match is it leaves you satisfied, but about 20 minutes later, you need to go again. <laughs> oh, my days. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure where to even go with that one. No, let's, let's move swiftly on. <laughs> so we go into Gail Kim and Maurice as our next contest, but before they can lock up, we are interrupted by Vicky Guerrero, who has nuclear heel heat. I love it. <sighs> excuse me, excuse me. Oh, God, I wish she'd come back just for a one-off on Raw and do that now. It's be great. Um, she comes out and she basically changes the matchup. She says, since she's the only person here with power to make matches on this night, um, which I thought Vince had already done once, but that's okay. Um, he's going to change this matchup to the two of them teaming up to take on Laycool. Uh, well, she she claims to be the only diva in authority. Ah, okay. Fair enough. So, you know, apparently the women only have... The women only govern the women and the men only govern the men or something. That makes perfect sense. Stops them getting out of line. Yeah, the whole deal was the... I think pretty much both both women were talking smack about SmackDown's women. So it's like, oh, okay, well, here's SmackDown's women. Mm. Um, the other and... thing to note as well, this match originally was supposed to be the final of that Divas title tournament. But we first saw all the way back on the January 4th Raw. Really? Yeah, so we've been six weeks without a, a lead women's champion on Raw. And they just changed it to a tag match. Yeah, just like, no, Sonic, you know, who cares that this title's still vacant? Just, you know, bait and switch. Oh, can you imagine if that happened with the men? Teddy Long comes out and stops a title tournament finishing for a tag <laughs> team match. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Oh, no, no, <laughs> Was the, that's the best thing I've seen in recent wrestling, Teddy Long coming out to accept the GM job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love this gimmick that he's got where he's like the Virgil of general managers. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> um, did you catch as well Cole and Matt Stryker getting some cheap shots on Vicky Guerrero talking about, because I think she, she announced she was going to referee this match when it happened later on Raw, and... Cole says, I wonder how she's going to look in stripes. And Matt Stryker sarcastically says, well, stripes are very slimming. 
Oh, I think I do remember that, yeah. Yeah. Vicky Guerrero had already slimmed quite a bit from when you know she was first appearing on WWE TV. Yeah. And they're still oh, this is a hog splash. <laughs> Michael Cole went through a little period where um, his weight ballooned a little bit on Raw there, so a bit of pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> I don't know if it's come up yet, but it certainly does. Cole definitely beefed up for a while. And then after that, I don't know if you've seen, he's beefed up in a totally different way now. Yeah, he's on that big show diet. Yeah, he looks incredible. Um, so we get the match started with Gail Kim and Layla. Um, Layla comes off with some kicks before Gail Kim comes back with a flurry. Goes up top, but before she can come off the top rope, Michelle McCool from the apron hits her with a big boot, which was a pretty impressive spot, knocking her off the ropes. We get a double baseball slide and from Michelle McCool, and she's in control. The commentators just basically call the girls hot through the match and don't commentate on any of the moves, so there's not a lot to write home about match-wise. We get a really awful clothesline from Gail Kim, and then Maurice refuses to tag, so she eats a big boot and a Styles Clash from Michelle McCool for the one, two, three, and then Maurice gets in and nails Gail Kim with a DDT to boot after the bell, so not a good night for Gail Kim, and the three heels all take turns getting over on her. Such a shame. Like going, like remember our last show, and Gail was basically the star of a show in a men's division match, and that was all I could think the, about. Yeah, yeah. Here they're barely getting any time. I thought they did a decent job of utilizing what little time they had, pretty well. Just, but still, you know, Michelle was solid, and I thought there were flashes of brilliance from Gale in this match. I would have really liked to have seen a Gale and McCool singles match. Mm. But what was this really supposed to achieve? It just it made the women look poor. I, I no one came out of it looking good. No. And it wasn't. I mean, because the crowd weren't invested in it, the whole Maurice screwing a partner and hitting her at the end, it didn't get her any real heat. No, just everyone in this match looked like a bit of an afterthought, really. Yep. And speaking of afterthoughts in this period of time, Josh Matthews is interviewing The Miz next, and he's here to talk about his NXT rookie, Daniel Bryan, who could learn a thing or two about charisma from The Miz. Um, Miz calls him boring, which is a a great start for Daniel Bryan here, before being interrupted by MVP, who tells him he's won an opportunity at his US title and the match is going to take place tonight, seemingly surprising The Miz with this match, but this feud's been going for ages. How did he not know? Yet another impromptu, unadvertised US title match on pay-per-view. It's a match where if you don't don't go to the arena, you don't have to defend (laughs) (laughs) it. From there, we get William Regal coming out, and Michael Cole on commentary tells us he's a free agent now that ECW has closed up shop, so that's an interesting little tidbit going on. He begins to cut a bit of a promo about his experience in NXT before being interrupted by Edge, who basically says he'll... um, He'll pick his WrestleMania title match tomorrow on Raw, sorry. Um, can't read my own writing sometimes when we do this. And then hits Regal with a spear. It was just a bit of a wasted segment. Yeah, so Edge's announcement was that he is going to make an announcement. And I'm going to hit you because that's what I do. Oh, sorry. As Michael Cole put it, what a statement from Edge. <laughs> he told us absolutely nothing. William Regal was getting the what treatment. And I, I love he was just like, such wonderful people. <laughs> I love Regal in this era. He, the evil Regal. He's so good. 
Oh, there was a, I think it was the, the last ever FCW match was William Regal versus Dean Ambrose. And Dusty Rhodes had this immortal line on commentary. It's like, Regal was telling me in the back that he says, I don't play the villain. I am a villain. <laughs> spot on. Spot on. 100%. And we get some more classic one-liners from Matt Stryker, who informs us, if your only crime is to be legendary, then your sentence is the Elimination Chamber. What? <laughs> My point exactly. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> if... oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, no, it's bad. I don't know how I'm going to go continuing on this route if he's going to keep commentating. <laughs> oh, dear. And I, I... I just wish you could have heard him in his ECW run. Because he was a genuinely good, informative announcer, by the way. I don't mind him on Lucha Underground a little bit, I've seen, but here he's just diabolical. Um, And we get into our impromptu US title match, as discussed a moment ago. It's the Miz defending against MVP. And before the match starts, Miz gets right up in MVP's face and talks smack, and it's a slap for his trouble. Yeah, he's all... um... I'm not sure how I feel about this whole referring to MVP as a boy. Mm, it's, a, it's got a tinge of something, hasn't it? Yeah. But thankfully, MVP starts beating the crap out of him, and we move past that. Um, gets all over Miz. They go outside and brawl out for a little while uh, before Miz comes back into control, unloading with some kicks and some chokes onto MVP. Um, he hits some mount punches and gets a two count at the end of that before locking in a bit of a modified dragon sleeper. And hits a really cool looking, like a code breaker, but to the stomach rather than the face. So, some good Miz offense early in this match. Um, did you cop? King brought up Tiger Woods really randomly at some point. No. I think this is when his like whole extramarital scandal broke out. And I, th- I think it was like King was comparing Miz, uh, MVP to Tiger Woods. Has MVP because been cheating he... on his wife? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like MVP has some kind of criminal background. Like he he mm. went to jail for he was in an armed robbery or something like that. I remember that coming up a couple a year or two before this. I do remember that storyline. Mm. But like Michael Cole's just like, well, at least MVP doesn't have to read his apology. Mm. <laughs> okay, no worries. <laughs> uh, um, go on. Yeah. They go back about Miz being Daniel Bryan's pro on NXT, and King like was hearing about how some of the superstars seem to think Daniel Bryan knows more about wrestling than the Miz. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Those two have got such a natural, you know, like such a natural rivalry, though, haven't they? They just look like they're made to fight forever. Definitely, it's a real shame we can't get that match now because that's got that had some real steam behind it not that long back. It's a, I mean, it's a shame that Miz is on a different brand now, and he's still doing like the whole Daniel Bryan Daniel Bryan tribute act. Yep, uh, but it is what it is. Um, this pace slows down quite a bit here, with MVP getting a small package for a two count, and things sort of crawl along a little bit. Um, MVP goes for a crucifix pin a la the way he beat Miz on Raw, but this only gets him a two count this time. Um, they exchange control of the match backwards and forwards. Miz comes back with a clothesline for a two count and then locks in a camel clutch. 
MVP doesn't stay there for long, though, hitting him with an electric chair drop for a two-count before misfires back with a DDT and another close uh, fall of his own. MVP crutches the Miz on the top rope and then goes up top and hits him with an ability-to-belly suplex for a two-count, which was really cool. They get into a little bit of a slugfest here. MVP fires off with the flapjack, followed by the boiling elbow, but MVP, sorry, Miz gets his foot on the ropes. Big Show then comes out, pulls Miz out of the ring. MVP slides out of the ring near the Big Show, accidentally grazing him ever so slightly with part of his foot, and Big Show feels the impact and thought he'd been baseball slide and sold the move. <laughs> really, oh, no. It was bad. I, I've, Big Show had a, a few bits and pieces earlier on in this match that I really, really liked. He was just like... um. The referee kind of catches him interfering or something. He's like, no, sir, I'm following the rules, sir. <laughs> and then Miz, I think, I think he does this corner clothesline and the show's like, he shoots, he scores. Very nice. Yeah, Big Show's got some good character stuff going on here. It's just a bit of a bad botch that that's sort of ruins the ending sequence for me here. Mark Henry, who's in the corner of MVP, attacks the Big Show, but he's sent through the barricade in a really cool-looking spot. Back before, that was the Envogue thing to do with anyone who has a spear move in their arsenal. And the referee's distracted, allowing Big Show to hit uh, a knockout punch, or the WMD, whichever one you want to refer to it as, on MVP, and allows Miz to pick up the 1-2-3 and retain his United States title. What do you think about this one? Um, First of all, I want to say this was a vast improvement on the Royal Rumble match. They showed much, much improved chemistry, and there were some pretty nice sequences, and I enjoyed showing them outside for the most part. The early goings were kind of just there, but... This was solid business for me, yeah. I didn't mind this. I think this is sort of the epitome of your, your mid-card match where it's got some good heat, some good moves, two guys motivated to move up. It, it was okay. I didn't mind it at all. From there, we go to our main event of the evening, which is the second elimination chamber. And this one, we'll see Rey Mysterio take on Johnny Morrison. Oh, I went to say Johnny Nitro then, but he's John Morrison now, sorry. Chris Jericho, The Undertaker defending his title, and CM Punk and R-Truth. I'm reading them out in the order. They go into the pods there, obviously, and that's why The Undertaker's name didn't come up last. If you've seen an Elimination Chamber, you know as they come out, that's where they're going in the pods and the last two out start. You know you were talking about Triple H's track record in the Chamber. Yep. They, this is also Chris Jericho's sixth chamber match, and they point out that he's not won one yet, but this is the arena where he won his first world title. Ah, good little trivia note. Mm. And something interesting here, uh, well, interesting for me to see, something I've heard about and never seen and didn't realise it was on this show, this is the show where The Undertaker catches on fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um Michael Cole like trying to cover for this is like, oh look at the Undertaker storming in. I've never seen the Undertaker do this. Look at him, he's so anxious to defend his championship. That was actually really good business by Cole because between that and I don't know how it came across live because you assume it's been edited since it's been put on the network. But between that and the camera panning into the chamber and just showing us what they're about to go into, you hardly noticed anything had gone wrong. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how this came across live. I don't remember it being all that different, to be honest. I, I think pretty much as soon as the fire uh, dominated the shot so much, they realised, oh, okay, let's take a step aside here. This is hats off to the production team here, because I genuinely, had I not known about the incident, I'm not sure I would have picked this until I saw The Undertaker close up later on. So good stuff there, um, Undertaker avoiding being burnt to death. <laughs> 
But oh, sorry, before we get started, on his, during his entrance, CM Punk cuts a promo as well. Um, your standard Punk fare around this time, putting everyone down a bit, patronizing, but real good way to fire the crowd up. What surprised me the most, though, was we also get a rap. The final entrance is our truth. So, probably probably one of the few times in his career he's the final entrant in a big title match on pay-per-view but he is over as hell with the crowd who rap along with him they love it it's brilliant i don't know how you feel about the jovial happy-go-lucky upper card baby face wrapping his way into the deadly elimination chamber (laughs) you know me i've I've got a soft spot for any hip-hop gimmick I just, I, I've always liked Truth, and I think it's a shame he's become a joke character in this day and age, because there was a, a brief window where they could have done something with him, and I think this is smack bang in the middle of that time. He's, yeah, I mean, there was always, like, a definite ceiling for where he could go, but he's a decent, like, he he beaten, like, Chris Jericho earlier on in the year and stuff like that, so they were, I think, having to go at making him a bit more of a player than he usually was. Yeah. But no, this was good. I liked it. Um, he and CM Punk start off in the match. And it's a, it's a good fast-paced start as well. Um, Punk starts us off with a really cool leg lariat to start and a back suplex before Truth escapes with some break dancing and hits a leg lariat of his own for a two count. And then slingshots CM Punk into the fence early doors. So we're using the chamber a bit quicker this time around. And we get a somersault plancher to the chain floor, which is really bloody impressive and looks sore as hell. Ouch. Matt Stryker, of course, immediately ruins the moment when he says, this callous coliseum plays no favourites. <laughs> Can you imagine that? If it was like someone under the ring, like, <laughs> operating the chamber, so it did play favourites. Like, they just put a cushion under there. And pretend <laughs> <laughs> he's falling off the road. Why is he, if, he, if he's so poetic, he shouldn't have to alliterate this way in every sentence the venomous viper the callous colosseum like stop just talk normally please yeah he's just overselling his usp because he thinks it's what vince wants to hear oh no not at all go back to i'm marking out bro any day of the week (laughs) (laughs) um we get the stroke hit by by truth um not called that obviously and then punk comes back with a big kick and lays him out with a gts for the one two three so getting someone out before anyone else has come in that's got to have made you happy yeah and i, I was really pleased with something stretch our truth obviously knew he only had a certain amount of time to make an impression and he got his shit in and yeah it was good fun yeah i, I quite like this it was good um punk of course one of my favorite things about him is the whole he did it in the rumble that year as well, where he's going to cut the promo now that he's got the time. I, I, th- I really like that gimmick and he's, he's good here. Um, doesn't last too long though, because Ray Mysterio is the next one out looking a little bit different. Now he's, he's put a fair bit of weight on here, Ray, and he's definitely a step slower, but he's still quicker than most guys. So he's going to, he's going to do some good stuff. There's a pattern that emerged through these chamber matches. So they, they, they first started doing this back at Norway out 2008 and Jericho and Michaels started their match, and then they went on to have a really big rivalry over the summer. And then the year after that, it was Jericho and Mysterio like were really big early highlight of the Chamber, and then they went on to have a big rivalry. So it's interesting to see Ray and Punk pair off here. 
Yeah, good good stuff. Um, they get stuck in quite a bit as well. Um, Ray comes in and he does use the, the ring to fly around a little bit. Um, gets a good kick to the head for a two count. We get a 6-1-9 chant, so he's still very over with the crowd. Um, before we get CM Punk popping up out of the 6-1-9 position to hit a power slam in a cool move. Um, has the GTS reversed into a Hurricane Rana for a two count. And then in a really, really cool spot. Picks him up on the outside of the ring in like a powerbomb position, but instead of powerbombing him down, just swings him into the fence a couple of times and then drops him on the concrete, which is a really nasty-looking spot. It's really cool. Um, from there, we get a close-up on The Undertaker in his pod, and his flesh is bright pink. He must be sore as hell. It's, um, I think they must have snuck in some water for him or something as well. Yeah, I've read the referees were handing him bottle after bottle while he was off camera. You can see when Punk was cutting his promo, he had a few moments where he's like, he had his head down trying to get his breath back as well. Yeah. Uh, fair play to him for going through with the main event. Um, nothing but respect for that. Um, so after that, we get CM Punk hits a knee to the head and Lawn Dance, Lawn Dance Ray through the ropes to the pod. That was a really cool spot as well. Um, awesome stuff. It's the exact same phrase I use as well. Lawn Dance Ray into the pod. <laughs> it's brilliant. And then we get Ray Hurricane running a Hurricane Rana on CM Punk to the steel on the outside and a springboard splash for a three count. I could not believe it. Again, uh, yeah, this pairing was really, really good. It was exciting, it was fast-paced, and it had a surprise pinfall in there, so yeah, no complaints whatsoever. Um, this then brings Chris Jericho out next, who comes in and nails Mysterio with a huge clothesline for a two-count, and then a flapjack, and misses the lion's salt. Uh, Ray hits a 6-1-9, and then springboards to the outside. However, Jericho avoids, and Mysterio uses the fence to make the, sp- the Spider-Man landing, I think they call it in this day and age. Spider-Man spot, yeah. He is, though, pulled off the fence and lands face first in a really, really nasty spot. Fair play for taking that. Chris Jericho then splashes him for a two-count. Rey Mysterio hits a springboard moonsault for a two-count. Rey reverses a dragon sleeper, and Jericho uh, hits the walls of Jericho. And this is where we get um, John Morrison coming in before Rey can tap and unloads with kicks on the both of them. He sends both over the, over the top rope onto the steel, and then he flies over the top to clothesline the both of them as well. Back in the inside, he hits a standing shooting star press on Mysterio for a two-count. Before Jericho hits a huge sort of torture rack-looking backbreaker on Ray for a two-count, and John Morrison hits a starship pain on Ray, eliminating him for the one, two, three. So everyone that started is gone, and they've just gone in sequential order so far. Matt Stryker then says, This is Hell's Kitchen, and Undertaker is about to eat your lunch. Well, I mean, to be fair, did you see Taker just kicking the crap out of his pod, like, really wanting to get out? He's like, I'm next, come on! (laughs) Uh, I think with his fried skin, his appetite might be somewhat lowered, though. (laughs) Not appetite for other things, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'd say getting back and throttling the pyro guy would be first on his list. Yep, for sure. Um, Undertaker is coming out and... uh, yeah, Undertaker comes out, sorry, and he's unloading on strikes on all all the competitors. Um, hits a snake eyes and a big boot on Jericho, followed by a leg drop for a two count. And then Chris Jericho and John Morrison hit a double suplex. John Morrison cradles Jericho for a two count. And Chris Jericho hides from the Undertaker inside one of the pods in a really cool spot. From there, we've got Undertaker comes into the pod and he starts on a big fist flurry on Jericho. So that was quite cool as well. 
hits a snake eyes on Morrison and Morrison hits a springboard kick, but we get knees up on the Starship pain attempt. Jericho comes in and tries to sneak attack on Undertaker, but he sits up and Jericho goes back into the pod. So <laughs> I'm loving it. Well, I think he had to go into a different pod because did you see when Taker opened the door to the original pod? He opened it so hard, it like flung off the um, like the, the chain or whatever. Yep, yep. That's great. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Seeing Morrison and Undertaker together is really intriguing pairing. I, I quite like it. Yeah, I could see more of that for sure. But no, really cool. Um, we've got um, Undertaker then choke slams Morrison on the steel floor, which was nasty, nasty looking. And Matt Stryker tells us that the steel grave claims another soul. This leads okay. leads to an elimination with that horrible call. And Undertaker and Jericho are still in there now. We've got Undertaker hits a running knee, but misses a second one. Jericho hits him with a superplex for a near fall. Um, we've then got a choke slam reversed into the walls of Jericho, reversed into. An Undertaker move. Nope. Reverse back into the walls of Jericho. Uh, then Undertaker gets in the Hell's Gate. Jericho fires back with a code breaker for a two count. Undertaker hits a last ride. And he signals for the tombstone. But out from underneath one of the chamber parts, it's Shawn Michaels. Holy shit. Nails the Undertaker with sweet cheer music. Allowing Jericho to pick up the victory. One, two, three. And a new champion. And I did not see this coming. Brilliant, brilliant finish. Yeah, Michaels isn't popping up with a cushion there to help anyone out. <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe it. Oh, there's this is probably while we're on the title change here. That between that and Batista, now I've no idea what happens with the Mania title match or something. Loving it. Mm. Yeah, this was I love this. This is the best match of the night of, of this show for me. Um just filled with really really great spots and really really great pairings like Jericho and Ray again as they had the previous summer just really good together Ray and Punk as well and Morrison super impressive yep loved it and yeah it's all good like um Undertaker pulled his straps down after he got Morrison out and that was when I could really see how scarred his flesh was oh my god yeah what a man just brilliant brilliant that he was able to continue on and, and give that good a performance I'm, I, I don't know if I'm more impressed that he went through with the match or more impressed that he stood in the pod and didn't scream like a baby like he just when the camera came on him he was the ultimate professional he looked like the undertaker always does like hats off to him just all of those years of keeping silent when you had this undertaker gimmicks pays off I, I, I guess. imagine he'd be a tough man to torture mm. what did you think about the show overall um the two bookends the opener and the main event really really good stuff really worthwhile the middle stretch not all that much i think it's nothing you have to go out of your way to see to be honest no i agree with that i think the lack of number of matches on the show made this a really easy watch for me because the two long matches either either side were the chamber matches and because of the way they go, they're bite-sized chunks. They don't feel like a 45-minute match. And with only a couple of matches in between, I found the show really, really easy to watch. And I would say at this point before I've put on the TNA one, definitely the best thing I've watched reviewing with you so far. Mm, um, I don't think it quite beat Genesis for me, 
But I think the two chamber matches are definitely some of the strongest matches we've had here. Especially that main event. Probably my favourite match we've seen so far. Yep. So, good stuff all around. Tonight, eight superstars will have their sights set on the ultimate prize in TNA wrestling. Eight will step in between the ropes. Eight will battle. Eight will risk it all. But eight will become four. Four will pay the toll. Four will hit harder. Four will walk a higher path. Four will become two. Two will emerge. Two will clash. Two will fight. Two will show us their hearts, their passion, their souls. I am the next. I'm their next TNA World Heavyweight Champion. TNA World Heavyweight Champion. And I will be the next TNA World Heavyweight Champion. TNA World Heavyweight Champion. TNA World Heavyweight Champion. Some call me the Samoan Submission Machine. Some people call me the Nation of Violence. Styles, I need to remind you how to be a man. I need to remind you how to be a champion. Are you kidding me? This is the new TNA, brother. You will get your ass beat. I'm the phenomenal AJ Styles, and I'm the TNA World Heavyweight Champion. AJ, from this day till then, Hulk Hogan called me one of the best in this business because I am, because I am, because I am, because I am. I'm just not good. I'm not great. No, I'm phenomenal. My prediction is all-out destruction, an absolute war of attrition. A man will go in there, he will take a belt from another man and leave him laying in a pile of his own blood. But I can guarantee you, I will be your next TNA World Heavyweight Champion. Alright, so we're back with Against All Odds. This one begins with Ric Flair going nuts to Christy Hemi in the backstage area about Eric Bischoff being the referee for the AJ Styles match. Um, bit of a weird way to start a pay-per-view, but it certainly got my attention early doors. I don't know why it's Christy Hemi's job to try and calm Ric Flair down. Yeah, she was chasing him, wasn't she? It's not like she was there with the microphone and he came storming. She was chasing him into the building. Mm. Um Promo video package of the eight-card stud tournament for the number one contendership, and this is a cool novel idea. Tournaments can be quite hit and miss on pay-per-view, but the chance to crown a new number one contender's got some potential, so I'm excited about this. You know how last time they had a video package and everyone kept repeating, I was born when I was born when I was born? Yeah. This time around, they're all repeating TNA heavyweight champion, TNA heavyweight champion, TNA heavyweight champion. <laughs> It's almost as though they're all given the same script. <laughs> I, nothing will ever beat for, for that little follow-on um, comments on promos. The um, 
remember the, the late 90s WWF one? I played in the NCAA tournament. I was a linebacker. I've had broken shoulders. Like the whole like, um, try telling me this isn't real video. That's the best like follow on comment, comment, comment ever. I know what you're thinking. I'm not a real athlete. I'm just a wrestler. I'm six foot ten, three hundred and twenty-eight pounds. I won boxing with golden gloves three years in a row. I was a national champion at the University of Miami. My jersey was retired at Florida State. I was the ultimate fighting champion. When you step through those ropes, bad things do happen. Had over two hundred steps. I suffered a dozen concussions. I've broken bones. I've separated shoulders. Damn broke my neck. I've blown out knees. But I've still got up. This is who I am. This is what I do. I'm not really an athlete. This isn't real. Try lacing my boots. That all wound up in all of the don't try this at home videos for years and years. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, I love that. Really sort of dates me back to prime wrestling them. Um, commentary team for this one, Mike Tanay and Taz. So I'm quite happy because it's not Don West. <laughs> And I'm hoping Taz is not as bad as he was at the December to Dismember show. Oh, well. It'd be tough to be. Well, I've still got a few bits of Taz commentary here. <laughs> at least there's no... Not quite, not quite in Strikers League, but... There's no um, um, bait and switcher Roonies on this one. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and the opening contest is one we have seen before, so probably the first repeat match we've had on the... No... Miz and MVP would have been a repeat match. The second repeat match we've had together so far, Desmond Wolf up against Pope D'Angelo De Niro, my new favourite 2010 wrestler. This is a rubber match, actually. And one I was quite From... looking forward to as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I like both these guys. And at the time, I had really high hopes for both. Did, did you catch the, um, while we're talking about Taz commentary, the... Um, stolen line from himself in wwf here to open us up uh, possibly not but go on well here comes the pope oh very good. <laughs> that's brilliant i don't know if you spotted when um wolf was the first guy to come out but pope's tron was on the screen for a second or two <laughs> no, i missed it <laughs> oh, oh god um less entertaining was um so wolf's Aid has a name now. She's called Chelsea. And Taz is all, great to see Chelsea back. And then Tanae, yeah, this is probably my dick move of the night, actually. Tanae goes, her front's not too bad either. Oh, God. I don't remember... T- <laughs> I don't remember him being this sleazy. Exactly. You're the, like, credible I-know-all-these-wrestling-news guy, and you're being a perv. Fuck off. <laughs> He's been to the Mean Gene school of ageing through announcing... <laughs> Um, Pope is over as hell before this match starts as well. I'm not the only one who was digging him back here. Oh, yeah. And uh, he does the Bret Hart gives his glasses to a fan routine as well. Loved it. I've got to to admit, this this should tell you how much I've been enjoying watching Pope since we started doing this. Because obviously I didn't watch any TNA in this period of time. I googled Pope the other day to see if he was still young enough to make a comeback in WWE. He's on commentary for Impact Wrestling at the moment, yeah. actually. Oh, no, I was a bit sad. Yeah. I'd love to He's see He's only him. had a handful of matches. I think he wrestled Wesley once. 
that might be worth tracking down. I'll have a look. I'm, I'm digging me some Pope. Um, early on in this match, they exchanged submission holds. Uh, really cool looking one where we try to get the arms over the top of, of the head before Desmond Wolf comes back with a European uppercut. And then Pope hits a nice punch combination and a flying forearm before Wolf hits a snap. Um, snaps the top rope into Pope's face, which was really cool. Awesome spot using of the ring. Gets a leg re- a, a leg sweep that sends um, Pope's neck and head into the ropes as well. So more cool stuff with the ring there. And a huge DDT for a two count. Desmond Wolf's got that cool... Um, it's a, it, I think it's, it's definitely a, a English or European thing where you find unique things to do that you would do if it was a real fight in the ring. And I really like that. Yeah, Definitely. Uh, we get a slam, followed by Pope having his face driven into the canvas before he fights back with some strikes, an inverted atomic drop, and a shoulder breaker. Uh, sorry, a shoulder tackle, and then a top rope crossbody for a two count. Desmond Wolf hits a twisting arm snap, which is really quite cool, and then Pope comes back with a big neck breaker and knees to the back, which they call the DD knee, and in the corner, sort of running charges and nails him with the knees, picks up the one, two, three with this in a decent opening contest. Not as long as their other matches, but all high-octane and good, unique offense. Yeah, the D'Angelo De Niro Express. Is that is that the name of the move, is it? That's the finisher, yeah. Oh, yeah. So is it DDE, then, is it? Yes, DDE. Yeah. Um, I misheard that all night, then, so I'll take that out of my notes going forward. <laughs> uh, he had another move. You know, he does the kind of, like, Rough Rider thing where he goes out to the ring? Yep over the guy's neck that's called the coronation apparently ah that was quite cool as well um he, he uses that later on in in one of his uh, next matches as well so quite cool good opener yeah i was really happy with this oh yeah really really zippy pretty nice match um yeah went a heck of a lick like nice didn't have quite as much time to get his little world of sport accoutrements in but he still got a few in and it was just really good back and forth action yeah, if you're going to open a pay-per-view, it should be with a quick match with two guys that can go, and this is exactly how you should do it. Yeah, two guys that can go, and two guys everyone was investing in as well. Absolutely. From there, we've got Ric Flair backstage confronting Eric Bischoff about the fact that he's a special referee for the AJ Styles matchup, and that doesn't get him too far. Bischoff basically puts him in his place. They argue backwards and forwards, and that's it. And we go to Jeremy Borash, who's with Hernandez and the blueprint Matt Morgan, the current tag team champions, talking about how they're going to be facing off in the next matchup as they've been drawn in the eight-card eight card stud tournament. It's a stupid name, but that's okay. Uh, they wish each other luck and basically say they want to find out who the best man is um, and that it's going to be an athletic contest. So you can smell a rat that maybe it won't go that way, but we'll soon find out. Yeah, back to the tournament name. This is definitely one of those, okay, we've we've got this name for a pay-per-view. What gimmick can we do around it? Rather than, okay, we've got this gimmick, what can we call the pay-per-view? Yeah. And then Mike Tanay says, it's good to see Jeremy Borash back on TV. So do you know how that all came about? Because I remember when we watched, um, was it the last pay-per-view? Or No, it was, the, it was Impact, wasn't it? Where Bischoff and Hogan debuted and they basically got rid of Jeremy Borash on TV. I think it was the last pay-per-view, actually. Bishop just went, no, no, sorry, because of the whole Foley thing. Ah. And he's like, okay, I'm going to let you, I'm going to send you home for a bit. But no, I don't know how he came back. I was hoping you were going to have a grand tale a la, was it Randy Anderson, the referee in WCW, that had to beg for his job oh, back? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll look more into that. 
Um, yeah. Next match, as, as spoken about, is Hernandez going up against Matt Morgan. Um, and they start off the way you would expect it to do, considering the story they're going to attempt to tell here with clean breaks on the lockups. Taz um, was like comparing Hernandez to a Sherman tank, and he's like, Do we have Sherman tanks in Mexico? Yeah, and then he goes, A Mexican Sherman tank, like that man. <laughs> I was irritated that Hernandez wouldn't take his shirt off. Yeah, I thought that starting off because they're both big jacked up guys and he wants to start wrestling in a tank top. I don't understand. Um, I don't know if he spotted, maybe it was just me. I thought I saw this pro Hernandez sign in the crowd and it had the Irish flag on instead of the Mexican one. No, I didn't see it. (laughs) Oh my God. It might just be the lighting or something, but like, that's not the right flag. <laughs> and I saw it was missing the star in the middle as well. <laughs> they've had a flag match. Everyone should know. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, and we get a couple of shoulder blocks by Hernandez and then a leapfrog and a... Uh, sorry, Matt Morgan with a couple of shoulder blocks before Hernandez comes back with a leapfrog and a pounce-type tackle in a really cool spot. Leaping over Matt Morgan is no mean feat, especially for a big guy like Hernandez. They both attempt their finishes early on, but don't get anywhere with it. And then Matt Morgan hits what seems to be one of his trademark moves, gets him backed up into the corner and swings one elbow after the other. But it looks a little bit like the um, the aerobics my mum used to do before work in the early 90s. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not an impressive spot for me. We then get a really bad botch on a top rope crossbody. Hernandez comes off the top and Matt Morgan's supposed to catch him in the in the power slam position and completely drops him. It's pretty poor. Morgan then hits a discus clothesline for a two count and we're told that this the winner of this match will face the Pope, so that's how the brackets are going to fare as we go on. Uh, we get the Ho Train attack times two by Morgan in the corner and then a sidewalk slam for a two count before Morgan jumps on Hernandez head on the ropes and lands on his feet, which is really cool. He's got him... Like the old, um, like the big boss man spot where you lay him across the ropes. Austin did it as well and you jump on them, but it's over the top rope rather than the second. Very, very impressive. Yeah, kind of like Pope's, but just on the top rope. Yeah. Um, And he looks straight to the camera and he says, that's why I'm the blueprint. So fair enough, that was a cool move. Uh, Thankfully, he didn't do it after dropping him on the slam. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Bumbacha move. That's why I'm the blueprint. Yeah, hits an apron leg drop for a two count, a short clothesline for a two count, and they both go down in the ring and both get up just after the eight count, so selling that they're both pretty hurt here. Hernandez hits a couple of clotheslines and a big spine buster for a two count, and in wrestling logic, Matt Morgan shoots Hernandez to the ropes, bends down for a back body drop, so he's in offense, and Hernandez stops and locks his head as though he's going to suplex him, but Matt Morgan makes no attempt to get out of it, while Hernandez looks to the crowd for approval about delivering this suplex. So, despite being on offense, he's now frozen in time when the when Hernandez goes to put a move on him. Um, basically, though, he goes up for a delayed vertical suplex, and... He holds him for so long. If you were hungry, you could go and get a snack and come back and he'd still be up for this suplex. It is friggin' awesome. That's super impressive. Yeah, one of the best spots in this match. Really, really cool. That showed some amazing strength. Hernandez, you know he's strong, but that was seriously impressive. 
Yeah. And he's finally taken his shirt off as well, so I'm even more enamored with him. <laughs> um, he then hits a running tope onto the... Um, under the outside. Unfortunately, the ramp is at ring height, so it's not as impressive as it could have been, but still a really cool spot for someone his size. And then Matt Morgan wants uh, won't take a count-out victory and holds the ropes open for Hernandez to come back in after they've you know got back up from the big dive. Then runs Hernandez shoulder-first into the turnbuckle and pins him hooking the tights for the 1-2-3 in a, a unique finish and not too bad. What did you think? Yeah, they, they were. Hernandez had supposedly hurt his shoulder from that dive, which is probably part of why they're doing it on the ramp side was important. Yeah, yeah. The silver the landing did it. There were some cool like power moves from Hernandez in that. I agree. The finish is very odd. Morgan was solid, not all that spectacular. It's, it was all right. Not too bad. It's a bit of a bit of a come down from the first match, but not so bad that we're going to rip it to shreds. So you know, it was watchable. It's a shame we've got the whole tag team partners who are on the road to Splitsville, as per usual. Yeah, it seems to be a pretty common wrestling trend now, doesn't it? Mm. Um, we then get a video package for AJ Styles and Kurt Angle. Um, and we're told that Hulk Hogan is giving him one more shot because of the shenanigans with Ric Flair in their last title match. And then it begins to recap the Montreal Screwjob. <laughs> yep, immediate retcon of this will be Kurt's last title shot in 2010. <sighs> Why do we need another Screwjob retread? <sighs> for those of you that haven't seen this, this is they nail it bit for bit for bit. It is the exact Montreal Screwjob. Um, we have Earl Hebner as the referee. We have Kurt Angle destroying the set destroying the equipment. We have Kurt Angle spitting in the face of Hulk Hogan, who had come down to ringside to watch. Oh, it is just, it's everything about the screw job is done here. It's just so, so bad. Yeah. Well, certainly in the moment is everything about the screw job. Um, what follows subsequently, subsequently is that it was revealed that Ric Flair had paid off Earl Hebner. I did it for a big check. Why do you think I did it? They gave me a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. The exact opposite of his stance and his feelings towards Green Brett, actually. Yep. Give Earl Hebner a beer and let him toast with Stone Cold. Don't give him a microphone and cut a promo ever. Yeah, just not not good stuff. Um, from there, we've got Six and Scott Hall jumping Kurt Angle, and they do it. Kurt gets pissed off, thinks Hulk's in on the whole thing, um, basically... Um, really goes out Hulk. He he spits on him, as I mentioned earlier. And then the second time, um, this is obviously going week by week on on Impact, that they jump Kurt. Hulk Hogan comes out with the brass knucks. Looks like he's going to help beat him down, but takes out Hall and Six and saves Kurt Angle. Um, We then go to a Kurt Angle promo. He says he's going to win the tournament, and he apologizes on air to Hulk Hogan, and we'll never doubt him again. He says he's going to beat Ken Anderson's ass. It's real. It's damn real. Yeah, he says he can walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> I love Kurt Angle. I think the idea is like he's able to multitask and still focus on this tournament, even though Walton and Hall are being dicks to him or something. I can't remember. On a side note, I caught Kurt Angle on table for three that they sneakily added up yesterday. That was quite cool with, with Edge and Christian. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah, brilliant. I really missed Teamek. I wish they'd have had Agent Christian induct Kurt instead. I was a bit. I was actually a bit worried in the first five minutes of it. Edge and Christian were talking so much, and Kurt Angle was just giving these really short one-word answers. He looked like he he looked. This is going to sound bad, but he looked like a guy who had had too much head trauma, like he couldn't keep up with a conversation anymore. But as the show went on, it turned out Edge and Christian just talk a lot, <laughs> and he was perfectly fine. So I was a little. Oh, no, yeah. like- he was still like controlling the flow of the conversation, though. He just he'd like chime in with something, and then oh yeah, and then that would lead to another tangent from Agent Christian. Yeah, it was great though. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, great fun. Um, from there, we're going to our next match in the tournament. Ken Anderson, um, a month into the company now, up against Kurt Angle. Yeah. So did you spot he fluffed catching his mic? <laughs> that that was intentional. Down. Yeah, <laughs> Taz quips. It's got a mind of its own. Must be on Viagra. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Bad, bad fluff. Um, He um, does it in the ring this time, unlike last month where he does it on the entrance stage. I guess it's it's not quite as easy to have a microphone hanging over there. So I guess he's the first out this time around as opposed to when Abyss was in the ring. So yeah, I guess so too. Yep. It was it was pretty funny the drop of the mic. When we do get started, Kurt Angle catches a kick and immediately goes for the ankle lock, uh, but Anderson avoids. He hits a headlock takedown on Kurt, and we get a chant of break his ankle from the crowd, so they're hungry for snap bones this evening. Yeah, I think I heard some overrated chants as well very early on. Yeah, his um, showing with Abyss last month has probably put him behind the eight ball for the debuting star, so it's going to be interesting to see if he can pick up steam here. Kurt hits a backdrop, followed by a snap suplex for a two count. And then we get a 10 punch, followed by a spear, uh, a missed spear, sorry, sending his shoulder into the into the post. And Anderson goes and gets all over Kurt here in the, in the post. And the referee's trying to break them up. And the camera angle's a little obscured. And when we come back up, Kurt Angle's busted open. And yeah, um... Kurt Angle comes out with these like dog tags mm. because his nephew or something's in the military and Anderson grinded for and Anderson used the tags to cut Kurt open. Yeah, really cool stuff. Very, very um interesting spot there. Anderson hits a DDT for a two count, puts in a headlock, and then Kurt comes back with a couple of clotheslines and a big belly to belly for a two count before hitting the rolling German suplexes. We then get a sort of I can never remember what the name of this movie is, where Anderson gets him up in the Samoan drop position, but rolls through, flips over onto him. I always love that move from Anderson. Usually gets called a Finley roll, just because Finley did it lots. Yeah, cool stuff, though. Good, good, good. We then get a Anderson taking the top turnbuckle off. Angle comes back with the angle slam for a two count. Locks in the angle lock, but he charges and hits the steel of the exposed buckle before Anderson hits him with his mic check finisher for the one, two, three in a very, very big upset here. Biggest tournament upset since Ricky Steamboat was eliminated by Greg Valentine at WrestleMania 4. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did feel there was a very big gulf in class in this match, really. Like, it wasn't bad. I just really struggle finding Ken Anderson all that compelling. I've gone from in the space of a month thinking, oh, awesome, Anderson's here. Like, cool, cool, to thinking, oh, Anderson's going through in the tournament. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's plenty more to come, my friend. Yes, there is. Um, but, yeah, not a bad match, but certainly not on the level of anything else we've seen Kurt Angle do in TNA. No, they'd have a pretty good rivalry next year, in fairness, actually. I look forward to that. Um, he then picks up the dog tag and drapes it over Kurt and spits on him on the way out. So they're giving him a pretty big push here. Um, bit disgusting, but yeah, puts him over as a monster heel. I put spits on Kurt post-match like the knacker he is. <laughs> From there, we get a weird backstage promo between Eric Bischoff, Abyss, and Mick Foley. Very, very odd. Guys, I know this is a big night for you tonight, and I, and I do know that I've put you in a very, very difficult situation. I, I hope you understand running a wrestling company is a tough job. I've been there, I know. I've got a lot of responsibilities. I've got a responsibility to you two, but most of all, I've got a responsibility to deliver the best entertainment product I can on a pay-per-view. And to do that, I need to make sure, absolutely certain, that tonight, no shenanigans, no games, all right? I want you two to go at each other like it's the last match you're ever going to have. Because I want to remind you, I want to remind you, if I sense any gamesmanship on either part of you two, I'm deadly serious. That mask is going to come up, and I'm going to show the whole new level of ugly. The mask, Chris, the mask is safe. You and I, we've beaten the hell out of each other before, and we'll do it again tonight. We're going to be fine. My question is for you, Eric. How do we know that your shenanigan meter isn't going to run a little subjective tonight? I mean, what exactly does and does not constitute a shenanigan? How do we know that you're going to claim we took it easy on each other even when we did not? I'm going to raise the bar for you, Mick. I'll tell you exactly how we're going to do that. I'm going to make your match a no disqualification match. All right. Okay? For one reason and one reason only. I don't want to hurt you. Because I want to make sure that this baby is legal. I knew you two would love this. And quite frankly, I don't care which one of you decides to use it on the other. I just want to make damn certain that our fans watching this pay-per-view get an opportunity to see you two just beat the living hell out of each other. And if you don't, if I don't see that bat used by either one of you, the mask is no. coming off. No, no Mr. Bishop, no. We'll, we'll, we'll use the bat. We'll use the bat. You. Mick, I can't and hurt you. We'll use the bat. Mick, I can't hurt you. You guys have you. a great match out there. You. Mick. Thanks Mick. for taking one for the team. I can't hurt you, Mick. Yeah, so Eric's there all giving out about how, oh, i got all these responsibilities and stuff. I, I could do without this. Let's not have any shenanigans. Like, it's your job. Just do your fucking job. I mean... No one cares. When it comes down to it, you work about four hours a week. Yeah. <laughs> um, then asks... Um, sorry, c- can we just clarify? Uh, how do we know what constitutes a shenanigan? <laughs> oh, man. Foley should have been far more selective in his comebacks and appearances in the last five, six years, and I think his stock would be worth a lot more in this current age of part-timers making big money. I don't know if you read his third book, the Hardcore Diaries one. Originally, when he was about to leave the WWE in 2005, TNA were approaching him, and he was really tempted by that 
further chance to work with Abyss in particular. Like he felt he was someone who could help him out and stuff. Yeah. So it's interesting to see that this is the pairing that they're going with again. Oh yeah, I've always found Abyss to be sort of like if Mick Foley and Kane had a baby, that would be Abyss. Yeah, I was really because I didn't watch TNA for years and years, and when I saw Abyss, like, oh, so you're managing to rip off Kane and Mankind in one fell swoop, man? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, as you said, they threaten no shenanigans in this match, and Bischoff makes this tournament match a no disqualification match. Brings out Barbie the Bat and basically tells him he will decide if there's been shenanigans by whether or not this bat gets used. If it's not used, one Abyss's mask is coming off. Basically, Abyss. Plays the whole, I don't want to hurt you, I don't want to hurt you, Mick. And Mick gets it back. Come on, I'm with it. We'll do it. If you're a fan of random stipulation changes in wrestling tournaments, by the way, I recommend you check out my latest blog post (laughs) on the WCW Mayhem 1999 World Title Tournament. Because there's a fuckload of them. (laughs) I think I'll have a read of that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what 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 bugs you more making a, a match in the middle of the tournament no disqualification or not having the final and changing it to a tag team match oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um yeah not having the payoff to be fair actually <laughs> this is a fairly minor consequence in comparison then <laughs> um yeah, anyway, back to the promo. Isn't Eric Bischoff's character just a mess? I don't know if he's a heel or a face. I don't understand at all. Exactly. Like, he he hates Flair, so okay, he's a face. And then he's mean to all these guys. Okay, he's a heel. What? His, Eric Bischoff's character is Eric Bischoff, the person giving control over Eric Bischoff, the character to me. Like, he's just... The I'm in charge no matter what. He, he's trying to be... I, he's, he's sort of channeling a little bit of Vince without having the Vince personality that suits that character. Bischoff, for me, has always been best when he's a smarmy prick heel, whereas Vince can do the whole, I'm the owner, I'll do what I want to anyone and, and get away with it because he's so over the top anyway. But... Yeah. We need... Um, there's nothing better than Eric Bischoff just smiling and smirking and pointing at random things. <laughs> <laughs> the lads at music and the mat really love that as well. We're like, yes, it's just love it, love it. I love heel Bischoff. He's so good, but yeah. this is not that. Anyway, moving along, we go into the next match in the tournament: Abyss versus Mick Foley. Um, I am finding it interesting here. They sort of every time they do a pre-match build, it's right before the match going on. There's no sort of promos for matches later in the night. They're keeping a good pace with the way they're working this here, so it's it's pretty good. Um. Abyss fires off with a shoulder and strikes early on, and we get a chant of use the bat from the crowd who are having no sympathy for either competitor. Abyss refuses to use the bat, so Foley slaps him. Uh, They go outside the ring for a brawl. Uh, Foley hits him with a chair shot, then a swinging neck breaker, and the crowd's not really too into this. They're just waiting for the bat to come into play, really. Um, Foley hits knees to the corner and then um, gets out some thumbtacks and... All of these gimmicks are, in my mind, being devalued very early in this match because the barbed wire bat shouldn't be brought out in a backstage promo unless it's the fear of God being put into the heel by the babyface. Like, if Mick Foley pulls it out and scares the shit out of someone, fair enough. Bischoff taking it out, he's covered and going, use this is not so much. And tax coming out a couple of minutes into the match, same thing for me. 
especially this is essentially like a friendly really these guys are in an alliance and they're just doing this because they feel like they're forced to do it yeah this is a lot like terry funk and mick foley in the 90s but without the added vince mcmahon poisoning of mick foley to kill his best friend it's a it's a poor man's version Abyss comes back with a choke slam, but he does it away from the tax, not wanting to land Mick Foley on the tax, and picks up a two count. It's at this point that I think, even though Abyss is quite simple, he's not. This isn't making any sense because surely he could hit one big move with one of these weapons and end Foley's misery by nailing him with a bunch of moves that get him two counts. He's got to keep beating on his friend for longer. Yeah, I suppose. Like, I think. Well, I don't know. I have to go back and look at like the character beats they've had with Abyss because he had like a whole bunch of redemption through violence and things, and I think he's just looking to avoid that basically. Fair enough. Um, we then get Abyss pulling out Mister Socko, which was interesting. <laughs> Foley cuts him off though and hits a double arm DDT. Then single leg picks the referee, removes his boot, and attempts to take his sock. <laughs> What is going on in this match? What is this match? Is it violent? Is it comedy? Is it a tournament? What is this? He can't find Socko because Abyss has it. <laughs> we need a new sock. Oh, Christ. Poor Abyss. The referee's been wearing that. <laughs> um, they both land Socko on each other at the same time, but Foley is the mask master of putting socks into other people's mouths, so he gets the upper hand on this one. Um, Foley then goes out and gets the bat, but Abyss hits him with a black hole slam onto the tax to pick up the one, two, three, then helps Mick Foley up and begins taking tax out of his back. Wow, I'm so confused. Uh, yeah, again, I, I don't think he really wanted to do it. It was just that was the way the moment and swung it. Yeah, which I, I get that, but yeah, I, I don't know. He, he could have done that five minutes ago and, and, and helped Foley a little, a little bit earlier, but hey, it, it's maybe I'm nitpicking. But yeah, it... To me, I just think this kind of match with these kind of gimmicks for these guys should have been the payoff to a slow-building alliance turned into a feud, and it could have really meant something. By giving it all away here where they didn't want to do it, it just means if they ever go back to that later, it's not going to be worth anywhere near as much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just a pretty flat match, really. Yeah, definitely for me the most disappointing of the night so far. From there, we go backstage. Christy Hemmings with the Nasty Boys. Uh, they cut a promo. Oh! <laughs> yes! I beg of you, please, 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 if you can, splice this into the show. And we're splicing that in now. We are just moments away from a match that has been over 15 years in the making. The first ever meeting of the most decorated tag team in the history of professional wrestling, Team 3D, and the legendary Nasty Boys. Look, let me set the story straight right here, right now. We know why we're here. Everybody else thinks they know why we're here. Yeah, we're good friends with Hulk Hogan for years. And when he called us up to come down here, he said, Nasty boys, I want you to go down there and show all the tag teams in TNA what it's all about. So tonight, it starts with you, 
Team 3D Telemsag. Exactly. And that's just the reason we are here. Because the Nasty Boys aren't bottom feeders. We go right to the top. And you just happen to be at the top, Team 3D. Now, TNA and the world of wrestling is going to learn what Nasty Sensation's all about. And it's coming down on you. Because if we can't beat you, why are we even here? So get ready, everybody. That's right. Stand up and check it out. Because Team 3, you're going to Nastyville, baby. You're going down because Nasty is forever, punks. Just to go over my favorite aspects of this promo, okay? So, Nobs admits that they're mates with Hogan, and they're here to show all of the teams in TNA what it's all about. Then Sags has the immortal line here, Ah, oh, the nasty boys, we're not bottom feeders! <laughs> yes, you are, that's your whole gimmick! <laughs> you disgusting, slizzy knackerman! <laughs> and then it, like, he addresses Team 3D, he's like, If we can't beat you, why are we even here? Nobs just addressed that, it's because of Hogan! <laughs> oh yeah, Brian Nobs then. It's like, everybody stand up and chicken out. I think he means check it out. but And then he can't even say Team 3D's names. Like, Team Freem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. When I saw the structure of the show with the whole tournament thing, I was really worried that, like, oh, is this, this, this can't be the show where that match happened then. I must have imagined it or something. You know, darpest deekest, darpest deekest. Deepest, darkest recesses of my imagination. No, no, you got lucky. Oh, no. Yes. It's coming (laughs) up. The Nasty Boys versus Team 3D. Oh, man. Oh, yes. They go into a, a video package after that promo as well, highlighting the rivalry, dating all the way back to when they showed up on Impact and trashed the Dudley Boys locker room. Um, So some really riveting stuff there leading up to this one. (laughs) Devon makes the excellent point that, while the Nasties have been sat on their asses for 10 years, T3D have been winning gold everywhere. Very, very good point. Mm. The argument was really won in that promo. There's no need to settle it with a match. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> no, nah, mate, you're not been relevant for like 15 years. Screw off. <laughs> um, from there, when, we, when the match does get underway, a very nice sequence of chain wrestling back and forth after handshakes all around. <laughs> Um, no, sorry, we get a four-man brawl, as is the Nasty Boys beginning to every match since 1993. We get double clotheslines on Sags by 3D, and Bully Ray and Sags do settle into the match once we get some tag team rules established. Sags, it's an... Yeah, literally minutes of stalling in this match. Yep. And Taz at one point is getting really frustrated, and he's like, because we're all outside, he's begging the referee to start a count out, and he gets the ref's name wrong. <laughs> Isn't the ref in this the one that had the shorts on in the last pay-per-view? Oh, it might have been. But he had trousers on. I was very disappointed. Yeah, I really wanted him to ref in shorts forever. I don't know. I just... It looked cool. It's a bit like... Can't have these, ref- can't have these referees getting themselves over. Yeah. Do you remember when Brian Hebner wore the wristbands? Not not Brian. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it was Brian Hebner. I keep... Yeah. That didn't last long. And Sags hits a nice corner clothesline before Nobbs comes in. Exchange strikes with Bully a little bit before Sags comes back in and goes for Pity City, but it's reversed and Bully Ray hits a big back suplex and a leg drop for a two count. Bubba, um, Sags hit a knee to the gut 
really early on in this match, and Bubba was super, super generous when he was bumping for it. Like, I would not have <laughs> put that much effort in. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to come back around. Devon comes in and gets hit with a double shoulder as the crowd chants for tables. The four men brawl along the outside before the heels begin to double team on Devon. And the cameraman we're seeing gets knocked down by Bully Ray in the melee on the outside. So that was actually pretty cool. That is my spot of the night. Because <laughs> Sags is looking into it, like bragging, he's like, go away, you nasty boy! And then Bubba just wallops him in the <laughs> This this match is like a carbon copy so far of the Nasty Boys and Public Enemy in 96 in some of the nitros I've been watching. It's Nothing's changed except it's gotten slower. Yeah, TNA-era Team 3D would have been a perfect match for those kind of teams back in the mid-90s because it's all walk and brawl and garbage brawling. Yep. We get the cameraman down. Uh, it's a very slow brawl as well. Um, and then we get back in the ring, and interestingly, Nobs locks on an abdominal stretch. <laughs> just so out of place. I think just about every line of, of my notes that's something related to Nobs begins with lol. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, earlier on, he horribly, horribly mistimed bumping for a clothesline from Devon. Then, just before he locks in this abdominal stretch, he hits the shittest elbow drop in the world. Like, oh my god, he literally cannot raise his elbow above his head. <laughs> he just he, he just raises his wrist up, like, closer <laughs> to his chest and grabs it, and then just kind of falls on the <laughs> Oh my god, what are you doing? Can you? This is one of those moments where you don't like. The, I don't know if you ever like to imagine whether or not they talk about this in advance or call it on the fly. I'd like to think they did like the Steamboat Savage plan all this out in advance, and then Nobs just pipes up with, "Yeah, we'll um, we'll brawl around the outside. We'll get back in. We'll have a couple of tags. Go back on the outside and brawl. Then we'll come in and I'll lock in an abdominal stretch for a breather." And they just look at him like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> it does not fit the match at all. From there, we get a lukewarm tag to Bully Ray, who comes in, hits punches and slams on both the nasties, before Nobs whips him into Zags and walks out the corner and has to walk back in for a double avalanche. Um, sorry, Bully Ray whips one into the corner, sends the other one in, who bounces out and goes, oh, shit, I'm going to get hit, and goes back in. So really, really bad spot again. Yeah, that's my next line on Nobs. Low Nobs can't even stay put when whipped into his particular corner. Yeah. Uh, the crowd are dying. Uh, more insight from Taz as well. When Bubba slammed Nobs, he's like, that's lifting a small foreign car. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> they put a bit of weight on, but that might be pushing the, the friendship a little bit there. I know, it's not that bad. <laughs> Um, we get the What's Up headbutt complete with the What's Up, so we're living in the past well and truly now. <laughs> and a 3D on Sags, but the referee is distracted. And Jimmy Hart comes out, gives Nobs his motorcycle helmet, who, na- who nails Bully Ray for the exact same finish as WrestleMania 7. I marked the fuck out. <laughs> Teenage camera crew totally missed Jimmy Hart. Yeah, yeah, they did. They, they botched it pretty badly. I only saw, like, his, was it his helmet or was it his megaphone? His helmet, the yeah. Was. It was his helmet. Yep. Yeah, that just got thrown in the ring. And then Mike today's like, Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart. I'm like, where? But, yeah, they, they botched it completely. So that's the second big um, botch of the night for the production guys here from TNA. But 
on WrestleMania Seven's one of like the top two or three pay-per-views of my entire life. So seeing the Nasty Boys recreate that finish, it almost immediately made me forgive everything that came before it. Yeah, Tierney <laughs> has this really strange thing of using WWE continuity. But from... Oh, what are we? 91 from 20 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> There's more instances of that coming up in our timeline, actually. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> but no, it was... um, th- This was pretty bad, really, in, in all honesty. I, I know I kid about the nostalgia at the end, and I, I really do... It, it made me immediately go back to that Heart Foundation losing the titles, but everything that came before it made me want to turn the channel, so... It, it was not a good match by any stretch of the imagination. It was a complete and utter joke of a match. It's exactly the reason I wanted to do this timeline. <laughs> For this match. <laughs> bollocks like this. Oh, my God. Um, thankfully, that's not an indicator of, of this wrestling evening as a whole, though. So, you know, we can... Um, the less said about this, the better. From there, Joe is backstage with Eric Bischoff, and he's apparently cashing in a briefcase for a World Heavyweight title match. This is a little bit of a rip-off, isn't it? Yeah, it's from this match called Feast of Fired, where they actually had uh, five cases. This was back at Final Destination the previous year. It was like one shot. Well, you don't know what case, which case is which, but each case contains a world title shot, a tag title shot, X Division title shot, and then the other one's a pink slip saying you're fired. And you've got to open them at random. You... You just grab whatever case you can, and then there's an opening ceremony after the match to reveal which one's which. Can, not having seen one of these matches before, may I suggest a possible flaw with that? Yes. Not knowing which case you want, is there any point to fighting for one of these cases? Well, I mean, yeah, and especially if one of them might be a pink slip. But you could beat everyone down and take a case that's got the pink slip, could you not? Mm. Possibly, but you you might not know. Yeah. So what I'm what I what I'm getting at here is if there's no way of winning the match, you're gonna be completely at random. What's in your case? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It's they're like in there's like one in each corner, and you just climb it. It's like a thingy on a pole match, and you get. And it. is there a case for everyone in the match? No, there's usually like. Six or eight guys. Ah, okay, so now that there's possibly the the um the, the difference maker. I was going to say if there was like four guys in four cases, there's zero points of fighting. Just I'll have this one, you have that one, you have that um, one. <laughs> okay, so I'm with you now. I, I, my mistake there. Anywho, so he's cashing in his his briefcase for a title match where something completely original and Eric Bischoff is going to take care of Ric Flair on the outside. So definitely playing the babyface in this part of the show. Although he wants Joe to control that Samoan temper. Mm. I'd actually like him to unload it, but that's that's a different story. We'll find out. From there, we go to our first semi-final match in the eight-man tournament. It's going to be Pope D'Angelo De Niro against Matt Morgan, and it's here that I'm hoping Pope's about to make the gauntlet run and go through the competition, but Matt Morgan overpowers him on the first couple of lockups and looks like he's going to dominate early on. Pope fights back with some strikes, so and Matt Morgan tosses him over the top rope and then hits his aerobics corner elbows again <laughs> and a side slam. But he doesn't actually slam him. He picks him up for the sidewalk and goes, eh, not yet, and just tosses him. So that was actually impressive and strange all at the same time. 
We get a top rope head crush again. Um, so that's sort of jumping over the top to the outside, which was cool. And then a bear hug from Morgan. And then D'Angelo fights back, but he's caught in the SOS uh, slam, overhead slam for the two count. Before Pope, it's a nice punch and elbow combination. Bit of road dog meets Dusty Rhodes there. And Matt Morgan hits a discus clothesline for a very, very close two count. Misses a corner boot. And then while he's stuck in the corner with his leg over the ropes, we get the DDE from the Pope for the 1-2-3, who will advance to the final. Um, short match, but it did what it had to do. Pope overcame the odds against a bigger man and advances through. What did you think? There was one moment in this match that absolutely, completely and utterly frustrated me. So Pope's escaped from a power slam. He's hit a DDT, and he's trying to knock... Morgan down again and he hits loads and loads of strikes and he finally gets him down and then the minute Morgan's down oh he hauls him back up on his feet <laughs> way to totally shit on the oh let's get the big man down spot yeah yeah bit silly not not the best part of the match that's for sure but um, I'm I'm not minding Matt Morgan here as well I think he's actually pulling his weight he's not too bad it was alright really I've, it, it took a while to pick up yeah, it's kind of middle of the road for me, yeah. I think. Oh, great, but okay. I like I like also, just to give TNA a bit of a pat on the back for storytelling, because I did it with WWE earlier, um, having Morgan with sort of twinges of heel tendencies against his partner makes this match a lot easier to have the babyface-heel divide. So for it might be a long-term build with the partners, but also for the show's continuity, it really helped out because this allowed the crowd to be solidly camped in the in the Pope's corner. Yeah, for sure. Um, from there, we go backstage with Jeremy Borash interviewing Kurt Angle. Uh, sorry, interviewing Ken Anderson. I've got to get these initials sorted on my, on my notes. Who cuts a really poor promo trying to be The Rock with the um, Ken Anderson sort of like really... He's, it just doesn't work. Yeah, my final... like My note to end that was, please shut up. You're not the fucking guy. Yeah, just give him a mic in the ring. Don't give him one backstage. I... I can't understand how you can be so good at one and so shit at the other. From there, we go to our next matchup, next semi-final. A rematch again for us, one that absolutely sucked the first time. Let's see if we can get an improvement on that. Abyss up against Ken Anderson. My first note for in the match as well as they were getting started is, please don't be as bad as last time. <laughs> yeah, my first is, yay, the rematch nobody asked for. <laughs> the match that killed him dead on night one um, and brought those overrated chants. Um, Abyss gets the best of the early brawl and hits a big slam and a big boot before clotheslining Anderson to the outside where they brawl for a little while. Anderson hits a drop kick to the knee of Abyss and begins working over the leg. So that's, you know, another chop the big man down uh, storyline going here. Uh I've got more insight from Taz here uh, relating to slams. Mm. You know, Abyss slams Anderson, and apparently that's like falling off a building. <laughs> Taz just, oh, what is going on? Yeah. He also claims Abyss has fingers like saucers. What? Saucers, like. <laughs> How does that work? Did he mean sausages? <laughs> Maybe? I, don't I might have misheard, but yeah, it's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Just the geometry of that does not work at all. Not one bit. Um, 
Anderson continues to work over the knee, including draping his leg over the ropes and drop kicking it before Abyss fires back with a backdrop and a side slam for a two count and hits the shock treatment, a torture rack backbreaker for a two count. Anderson grabs a hold of the ref, not, um, oh, sorry, Anderson moves the mask on Abyss, partially obscuring his sight, who then grabs the referee, not knowing it's the referee, allowing Anderson to sneak in and hit him with a mic check for the one, two, three, in a match that wasn't great, but it was certainly better than the snooze fest they had last time out. Yeah, some of the early goings to this were actually kind of fun. Like, there was a, a moment where Anderson tries to crossbody Abyss, but Abyss just stands brick still. Mm. It's like a brick wall. Um, but yeah, it, it still wasn't good in general. Anderson is a load of bollocks. Yeah, pretty much. I'm starting to come around to your line of thinking on this. From there, we get Christy Hemi with Ric Flair and AJ Style, AJ Styles and AJ half-heartedly flirting with Christy. It's pretty, pretty cringeworthy, this. <sighs> What's also cringeworthy about this promo is he's already taking on Ric Flair's style of like diction mm-hmm. and cadence. Oh no! He's got the. Oh no! Yeah, he also says that he's gonna add that combined all the guys that have come that are in this tournament are not good enough to shine his boots before Ric Flair cuts a promo as well, and we go to a promo package on AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. So, yeah, I'm not loving the Flairization of AJ here. It just doesn't match his character, but we'll see where it heads. Ric Flair as well. So he's been stressed out all night about Eric Bischoff being a referee. And then in this promo, oh, he's suddenly got all the confidence in the world that Eric's going to call it down the middle. Mm, yeah. Uh, just weird, isn't it? You know how I already used up my dick move of the night? Yes. I, I think I want to retract that because <laughs> I've just found this one note. It's a line from Samoa Joe in this promo package. And he talks about AJ losing his integrity and being a scumbag. And he says, AJ gave up his principles for a suit and Ric Flair's wholesale hookers. Oh, bit rough. Just a bit. I've not got a dick move of the week actually on this night. So you can have my one there and have the two. (laughs) Yeah. it's, It's unusual for me and nothing really pissed me off on this, on either show. So, other than Matt Striker, but I couldn't give three hours of commentary my dick move of the week. <laughs> I, I could have. Everyone else might want to after hearing me rant about it. <laughs> a three-hour continuous performance is is not really a move, I guess. <laughs> well, that's where the Viagra went that they were talking about earlier. Cause it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And from here, we go to our next match, which is Samoa Joe up against AJ Styles. AJ defending his World Heavyweight title in a match I'm very much looking forward to. I don't think I've ever seen these guys fight before, so very, very intrigued. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if I've seen the one-on-one up to that point in time. I did have like the Best of AJ Styles Volume 2, and that had the infamous Joe, Daniels, and AJ Freeway. Which we also had a rematch of back in November the previous year. Okay, cool. But, but... Um, did you? Sp- um, so there's a backstage segment where Hogan bumps into Bischoff and wants him to let this thing with Ric Flair go, and not to let the let his temper get the best of him because he's still not resolved this issue with Earl Hebner being paid off. 
It's like a fucking month ago. What are you doing? And he's admitted it on TV. What else have you got to resolve? Yeah, why? Oh, my God. Why are all these authority figures in TNA so shit? <laughs> and what do you do during office hours? Like, just make a decision. Bring back Jack Tunney. I've just been sat. <laughs> I've just been sat hanging on bagging. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Zodiac man. Bro. Oh my god! Please have him come at some point. <laughs> um, first one out for the match is actually Eric Bischoff, who's out in stripes, so he's in the, the zebra referee uniform here. And we get Joe out, and then backstage, Ric Flair is with AJ, who is now wearing a Ric Flair style robe. The cheapest Flair knockoff robe. Although it does have a tinge of AJ to it because it's got this ridiculously massive hood. Which I thought was a cool touch. You know, if you're going to make him become this Ric Flair wannabe, at least give him a little bit of his own flavour. So I was okay with the hood. Yeah, I suppose. Going back to costumes, Joe's in what I refer to as his disco gladiator shorts. (laughs) (laughs) It's got these shiny, sparkly um, gold rims on hanging from the top of the impact zone and we can party afterwards. <laughs> Disco fever. Disco fever. Disco fever. Disco fever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Disco fever. Disco fever. Disco fever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, <coughs> um, uh, JB's in the ring as well doing the big title fight introductions, which always adds a an air of, um, you know, importance to the match, I think. AJ's dodging Samoa Joe early on in the match, really trying to get away from him, and the crowd begin the cool Joe is going to kill you chant. And then Joe wants... Um, Joe won't move on a couple of shoulder blocks by AJ Styles, which is really cool. So AJ comes off like he's going to hit him with a third and instead just rears back and hits him with a punch, which was another cool little uh, opening part of the match here. Joe fires back with a massive shoulder block of his own and then starts hitting some cool strikes in the corner, a corner elbow, and then the big Pele kick in the corner as well. Uh, He hits a running knee, and then AJ fires back with a jawbreaker before Joe hits another huge running knee for a two count. AJ comes back with a dragon screw leg whip, but begins to work over Joe's leg, and interestingly enough, it's the right leg he's working over, not the left, so I found that a little bit fascinating, and I never really figured out why. I suppose it's like it hinders Joe's striking a bit more. Yeah, I just, it was just, it felt odd. <coughs> it felt very odd. It's one of them things that I think you just sort of take for granted after watching wrestling for 10, 20, 30 years, whatever it may be. And when you see it the opposite way, it just seems strange. Um, I mean, not for nothing, I'm pretty sure they swap legs later on. This they do swap, but then he swaps back. Because at first, the first time he went to the leg, I thought, oh, he's just, you know, balls up there. And then, because he goes to the left pretty quickly, like, while he's still on the floor. But then, for the rest of the match, it's back onto the right. So, I suppose that is the thing. If you have a striker, which leg do you want to take out? Do you want to take out the one that they stand on or the one that they strike? Yeah, I guess so. Um, no problem. It was just just a little weird. Um, he goes to put on the figure four, but gets kicked out big time by Joe outside the ring through the ropes, and he lands on his head, which Taz actually calls. It was pretty sick looking. But no time to rest and dwell on the injury, because Joe follows him out with a suicide dive. 
AJ gets up and gets back on offense, sending Joe into the post before AJ tries very hard to bring a pad up at ringside and expose the concrete. He's not having a lot of um, success. Ric Flair comes over and helps him. He then attempts a suplex, but Joe blocks it. AJ gets him back in the ring, and we go back to wrestling, locking in a chin lock um, before hitting a really nice drop kick. We don't only get him a one count, Joe popping straight back up. Uh, we get some swapping of knife-edge chops as the crowd give us dual chance for both men. A bit of pet peeve for mine, but uh, it's not so bad because the match is really good. <laughs> Joe hits a second rope, uh, knee drop for a two count, the Uranagi slam, and Eric Bischoff pulls AJ off some mounted punches. So I'm not really sure what he was doing wrong there. He's just really taking the fight to him. A little bit weird. Um, Ric Flair while this is going on, seizes the opportunity to grab a hold of Joe and wraps his leg around the ring post. And then AJ hits a chop block and begins to work over the leg uh, with an Indian death lock. Then a figure four leg lock, which Ric Flair grabs a hold of him and helps. And Eric Bischoff spots it. And it looks to me like he throws Ric Flair out, but Flair just doesn't leave. I couldn't quite grasp what was going on there. Yeah, he did the you're out of here hand gesture and then nothing happened. No, Ric Flair just kind of went, no, I'm not. I think Flair did the, 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 that thing where he like stresses out and he bah, bah, just takes his jacket off. So maybe he like flung his jacket away. Like there you go. That's <laughs> yeah, like, gonna drop an elbow on it and then just thought better of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he doesn't leave. Um, from there, Joe hits a backdrop on AJ, sending him outside the ring. An inverted atomic drop, a big boot, and a senton splash for a two count. We get a power slam for a two count before AJ comes back with the phenomenal forearm, not yet called that, and some more mounted punches. This time, Eric Bischoff doesn't forcibly remove him. Um, He backflips into an inverted DDT for a two count, and then Joe goes for the rear naked choke and flips AJ with a reverse suplex head and arm style, which was really, really cool. Awesome, awesome suplex. Fantastic stuff. I don't think I've seen him do that out of the clutch ever. It's really You good. know it's a good suplex when Taz doesn't have a name for it. <laughs> oh, nice Tazplex there. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Um, Joe then goes for the muscle buster, but Ric Flair um, has has Eric Bischoff distracted, who can't count the pin. Bischoff just cocks back and nails Flair. Joe drags Bischoff back in the ring, pissed off that he's not been there to count the fall, and they shove each other, so Bischoff standing up to Samoa Joe, not something I really wanted to see. AJ comes off with a Pele kick, and then hits a clash on Joe, um, and gets the three count with a very slow, reluctant count from Eric Bischoff. That styles clash on Joe, though, before we move on. When he went to wrap his arms around on Joe. Joe dangling with his head to the mat and AJ holding him up was very, very scary. It's it's one of the reasons I don't like that whole of that manoeuvre. No, awful, awful looking spot. But, he, he, I mean, he nailed it, so no problem. But it was just scary for a moment. Um, Flair gets on a microphone and demands Eric Bischoff raises the hand of the champ, which he angrily does before we go into a lot of replays of all the different high spots of the match. But this one was really, really good. Some of the storyline bollocks aside, it was actually two guys that can both go in their prime, putting on move for move, a really, really good title match. Yeah, I think just that finish was a bit of a letdown, just the begrudging slow count, just from one finisher from AJ, and don't think it did Joe any favours. But other than that, yeah, really, really good match. Top qualities. First thing on this show to really, truly rival one of the Chamber matches, I yeah. feel. Um, 
Flair and Bischoff were actually kind of relatively inoffensive until the finish kicked yeah. in, and AJ hadn't totally morphed into a Ric Flair knockoff. He still kept a lot of his offense, and I think it to me it looked like Joe was pretty motivated in this match, probably because he guessed this is his last. This is going to be his last shot in a while. I noticed as well, like um, not to not to pick on Joe here, but I find it interesting that he he's a lot. I think tighter in his physique now that he's in WWE than he was back then. Cause he's still a big guy, but he was definitely very soft around the middle here and, you know, fair play to him. He's a, he's a big athletic guy and it's not holding him back, but yeah, it's something I never really realized that he was actually his current look in WWE is probably a bit more toned version of what he was back then. It's just the thing now, isn't it? If you want a WWE run, you get trim a little bit hard body, at least. Yeah, but no, awesome, awesome match. I um really, really like this. This is, I think you put it best. It's the only thing to rival the, the two chamber matches so far. I'd say it probably comes close to to beating the first one. Not probably not the main event, but yeah, overall, I I loved this match. It was great. Yeah, I I scored this higher than the opener from the chamber actually. Yeah, yeah. I can see why. Um, from there, we get promos from Ken Anderson and the Pope about the final of the tournament coming up. Pope's is obviously much better than Anderson's because he can't talk backstage. Oh, my God. Just... Anderson starts off saying, well, I'm going to keep this short and sweet, and then rambled on for minutes and minutes. <laughs> I liked that. Um, did you catch Pope calling JB BJ? <laughs> <laughs> But um, unfortunately, his um, positivity is short-lived because he's jumped by Hall and Six-Pack and then a very, very out-of-breath Scott Hall after a 10-second beatdown turns to the camera and says, Hulk, uh, don't turn your back on the Wolfpack. He can't get it out. He's gassed. Poor lad. Yeah, it's so probably self-induced. But yeah, um, so Pope's beaten down before coming into the main event. He's very much getting the Macho Man tournament push here now. Um, all the sympathy, all the matches coming into the main event. Everything short of Anderson getting a buy in there somewhere. When we do come in, Anderson comes down first because Pope, Pope's music plays and he doesn't appear, obviously, having just been beaten down backstage. Anderson is not interested in doing any of his introduction. He wants the referee to count out the Pope and award him the victory. Referee seemingly thinks that's fair enough and rings the bell and begins counting straight away. Um, but then Pope limps out onto the stage and the referee cuts him a little bit of slack on the count and allows him to get down to the ring. Um, before he gets it... Um, just I don't understand why everyone was so surprised when Pope wasn't coming out. Because, like, if you caught where the beatdown was, it was like this interview area, like to the right of the hard camera. Mm -hmm. the, the, I think it was a show, actually. You see, like, the, the big boom camera sweep up from the interview area and back into the actual impact zone. Oh, I never saw so that. The, oh, we see, so that means so the interview area is, like, all the way to the right of the ring and the entranceway is all the way to the left <laughs> of the ring. And they're like, oh, what, where's the Pope? Oh, oh, can, can, uh, he's not going to make it? What's, of course he's not, because he's got to go all the way across the <laughs> arena. He's been beaten by the Wolfpack. Fucking hell. Oh, brilliant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
So eventually he does come out, but before he can get to the ring, Anderson sprints up the ramp, beats him down, and then sprints back into the ring, then goes back out. It's a very, very long brawl around the outside of the ring before the match actually gets started in the ring. I've got to say that I do applaud the attempt here to get new guys over and to build new main event stars, but I loathe the fact that this angle of a match is coming on after your world heavyweight title match. That really annoys me. This To go on after the title match, this had to be two up-and-coming guys fighting for a main event spot, tooth and nail, not an angle turned into a match. Yeah, I never liked kind of angle matches in tournaments. Like, I'd... <sighs> the way it kind of hinders stuff. When I was a kid, I always imagined that a quality match would be everyone getting their best stuff in. And like an injury angle, I was always be like, oh, that's going to hinder them doing this, this and this. Yeah, it pretty much does here. Um, Pope's nowhere near as effective early on. He f- he's very, very slow to get in the ring. And when he does, it- it's been several minutes so far. Anderson hits a suplex for a two count. And they've got, I- I've got to say here, um, I do also take umbrage with the fact that the Pope is selling to this extent, considering Anderson's had two full matches. Is being thrown into a garage door that much worse than having two wrestling matches? Yeah, I, 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 it was a very ordinary-looking beat-up, I it guess. It was like a 20-second throw-you-into-the-door-and-kick-you-a-bit. The like, surely Matt Morgan's sidewalk slam's got to be up there for impact on being thrown into a garage door. It's just one of these things, isn't it? If it's something happens in the rings, like, oh, okay, I'm going to carry on. But if it happens outside in a backstage, I was like, oh, my God, so like death, so like death. Yep, this, um, this one's up there with Cena selling like death after being last one out in the chamber. <laughs> Fair play. But no, I mean, it is what it is. He comes back with a small package before Anderson hits him with a clothesline, uh, three different elbow drops, and then locks on a chin lock. When he comes back, he hits a knee lift for a two count. And Anderson is seemingly toying with Pope, who is just doing enough to stay alive. That's the story of this match so far. He hits a short clothesline for a two count. And then we've got three... Um, what I've got here, watching three uh, Ken Anderson matches makes me wonder why I thought he was money. It's really been a struggle to get through his portion of this pay-per-view. I'm not... Definitely. Yeah, I'm not really sure he can actually go. So I definitely... I'm going to have to concede defeat to you on this one, I think but I will not concede defeat to Kyle about Triple H. <laughs> oh, here we, go. Yeah, I, we nearly got through the whole show. It had to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Anderson locks in a chin lock uh, before Pope comes back with a forearm, a clothesline, and a shoulder block, and then rolling a vertical suplex into a German suplex before locking on an STF. Um, really, really cool. Uh, sorry, before hitting him with an S. No, before hitting him with... STO, that's the one, for a two count. Um, It's a big uppercut, and then corner knees for the two count this time around. It does not get him the victory. I was really angry. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yes, come on, Pop! Oh, for fuck's sake, we have more of this match. Anderson comes back with a clothesline and brings the mic down for a mid-match promo. Yeah. Weird. Um, And then he basically just says, you know, this... We're one mic check away from victory. Of course, then he hits a mic check and doesn't get the victory. Two count and the crowd pop big time on the near fall because they thought that was it. Yeah, at the very least, Pope gets to kick out of Anderson's finisher as well if 
he has to suffer the same fate. From there, we get a miss one time bomb by Anderson, allowing Pope to hit his knees in the corner a second time, picking up the one, two, three for a very big pop. And I'm very impressed with TNA's booking. They put a new star over that the crowd wanted to be over. That was awesome. Absolutely. Right guy won. Shame about the boring as fuck match he was in. Yep. Not the best way to main event, but the right guy definitely won. I just... Just that whole beatdown angle just had Anderson chomping at the bit. It's like, oh, goody. That means I don't have to work with any sort of urgency whatsoever. And then, you know, he he locks in a chin lock twice. Like, what are you doing? Exactly. But, yeah, no, definitely the right man to win. And I'm looking forward to the idea of Pope and AJ Styles. So I don't know if that actually takes place or not, but the thought has definitely got me looking forward to this. You've got a bit of a wait. There's something else coming up in between. Mm. <laughs> that sounds ominous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to know. I'm, I'm, I never, ever read spoilers before I do this. So. <laughs> no, don't. Um, you might get a sense of where they're going when you see the March 8th impact. Mm, okay, can't wait. I'll say that. Yeah, oh, well, we're not far off now, so there you go. So that does it for um, Against All Odds. What did you think about the show overall? Uh, I was a bit flat in general, really. Just like take it or leave it, really. Um, I was so happy when we had both the really, really good AJ Styles match and the fact that, you know, they were trying to cement Pope as a bit more of an upper card player. And also I was really, really thrilled when we got the utter, utter bollocks of the last season (laughs) Team 3D. (laughs) Because other than that, everything was just, like, middling, yeah. really. It didn't really stick around in the memory much. I think I was maybe more positive on this show than you were. My my big qualms with it were the whole Pope and Anderson match being an angle and still outranking the heavyweight title match and not getting enough Kurt Angle. Like, you've got a guy like Angle and you're putting him in... You know, like you're using him to get your new guy over, but not in a long match. So that they were my two sour points for this show. Uh, the Nasty Boys and Team 3D, I probably... It, it was crap, but it was put in the right spot on the card that it didn't ruin the show for me. <laughs> yeah, fair play. So, no, I think overall I, I quite enjoyed this. So, no, no problems at all. That, I guess, puts us in a, in a trickier predicament where we've got to pick ourselves some winners. So... Going straight into it, um, I found the first one, production value, to be very, very easy. I thought WWE had a catastrophe that they hid, and TNA did their best to expose some of the problems with their product. So I went WWE. Who did you go on this one? Hands down, WWE. Yeah, like like I say, they're missing Jimmy Hart's running and little things like that. It just irritated me. Yeah, at Pope's... uh, Pope's video going on when it wasn't his entrance that you mentioned as well was another big yeah. one. Yeah, precisely. Mm. Um, storyline, though, might be a bit of a trickier one to call. Who did you think had the better storyline advancement on this show? Uh, I think I'll still go for WWE because a lot of TNA stuff just felt very self-contained. Like, other than RK Pope's the number one contender now. Really, the only other big storyline point to come from the tournament as such was are Hernandez and Morgan going to be on the splits? And that's just such an overplayed angle for me. Mm. Really. And they're kind of treading water a little bit on the whole um, Hulk and Wolfpack stuff. There was no real advancement on that either. 
No, just they come out and I guess they victimised Pope just because they thought it'd piss Hogan off to ruin the tournament or whatever. Yeah, I guess so. My only, my only probably issue with the WWE storylines because I think they did a pretty good job advancing most of their stories is I'm not a big fan of both titles changing hands in February. Personally, I would, I much prefer to have a long-term champion going into mania to defend against the rumble winner. That, that's just my personal preference. Yeah. Um, although I suppose if you had a long-term champion facing like a fresh contender at WrestleMania, that would kind of be like, well, okay, well I guess the champion's not long for this world. Whereas if you have a fresh champion coming into Mania, it's a bit more up in the air, possibly. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I wouldn't even mind um, the um, the the title change at the Royal Rumble. So he's got a few months to establish himself as the champion before the Rumble challenger. But yeah, both titles in February, not quite what what I would do. But you know, it didn't it didn't really hurt anything else. I think the stories they used to get there were both quite good. So I've no problem with that. Um, characters, who did you go with? Uh, WWE again, like this is another kind of last hurrah for a lot of people, like Triple H and Shawn Michaels showing up at the end, establishing his story. Undertaker, yeah. Um, just with the tournament format of TNA, you had a much more constricted range of talent in that show as well. I yeah, I agree with you. I think WWE. This is that period where a lot of the the main eventers are still main event but permanent wrestlers rather than returning veterans, which made them seem a lot more important. It it does make it stand out today, though, how they've not moved on from those guys, how the guys that were underneath looking to be coming up haven't become the main eventers now. Like Someone like a Ted DiBiase is a big miss. Kofi Kingston's not gone up from here. R-Truth is obviously gone down quite a bit from here. The only guys on that show that are still over are the guys that were already the champions, you know, established champions then Jericho, Orton, Undertaker, Cena. So, you know, they win they win here, but it does make you wonder what could have been. I know, yeah, but I mean just in terms of the context of the show, like Morrison's performance as well was really exciting. Yeah, definitely. That, that kind of thing. So they, they were making an effort, and at the time it felt like maybe they were on the cusp of something, but I think too many guys just mm. Fled the ship, all the ones, yeah. really. Punk was another highlight for me on the show as well. Yeah. Um, what about crowd? Who did you go with for the crowd on this evening? Again, WWE, really, really big crowd, mostly hot in a good old traditional wrestling town. Yeah, I want the same. Um, unless there's some anomaly on the show, 17,000 should always beat 1,100, I guess. And that brings us down to the last category, match quality. Yeah, WWE for me, just like the two chamber matches, Miz and uh, MVP was all right. But yeah, like I say, the, the only thing that really rivaled them on TNA show was the world title match. Yeah, I went WWE as well. I think having the two chamber matches gave them the clear win. Had there only been one, it might have been a little bit closer, but... Yeah, that second chamber match was really, really awesome. I, I dug that. The first chamber match was great in a completely different way. Um, but I think, as, as I mentioned earlier, I think they got them the right way around. And having them at either end of the show didn't make one seem significantly weaker than the other. Yeah, I think the first one was kind of slightly a bit more cerebral, I guess. So it was like the second one was like, wham, bam. 
like kind of a bit more of an action movie and everyone goes a bit thick and fast yeah good stuff so hands down a big win for wwe which is you know i watching these two shows it didn't feel like a, a slam dunk much much better but I think that's more just a, an indictment on how much more I enjoyed this month than last month. So, you know, for me, positive overall and definitely a step up from both companies, in my opinion. Yeah, another solid month, really. I, I kind of think it was a lot more even the previous month. Mm. But, yeah, there's still a lot of stuff to look forward to and um, a, a lot of declines to look forward to as well unfortunately. well when we come back for the next installment it will officially be the monday night war will it not absolutely yes march the 8th yeah. head to head this is going to be interesting oh yeah but it's the moment this has all been leading to so you know it, it's definitely going to be a fun ride and was it eight weeks is it or something like that, yeah. It went all the way up to early May. So we've got eight weeks and probably a couple of pay-per-views in there as well. So we're, we're getting right into the hot spot now. Yeah, I think we'll have Destination X and WrestleMania and then Lockdown and Extreme Rules up against each okay, other. Okay, this should be good. Looking forward to it. Um, In the meantime, what else have you got coming up? Um, we're still on the search for questions for our Q&A episode that we hope to do at some point. Um, we're also looking at doing another WCW episode after I had to <laughs> um, let me Kyle with that really, really shocking WCW show. <laughs> it's tough to go back and watch. I've got another... <laughs> I've, I've got another WCW show that's actually good. Just because I don't want WCW to be remembered purely for bollocks. What, what year are you in? So, yeah. It, and, whoa, spoilers. Oh, give, you know, oh, I'm not going to give me a year. You're killing me here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, 19, it's 1999 again. Okay, okay. Uh, partly to show how fast the decline was. I'm, so. I'm, I'm going to hold reserve judgment on whether it was good then. <laughs> <laughs> I, st- I still remember when um, my friend Mark was over here and he convinced me, you've got to watch this ladder match. You'll like it in the WCW. And it was awful. I'm like, this Tank Abbott holding a gold record at ringside. I don't care how good the ladder match is. This is bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> I have no that. He was playing a fanboy for um, three-man... Was it not three-man band? Three-count, oh, three yeah. Count. Oh. <laughs> oh, I forgot they did that. I oh, know, terrible stuff, so... And the thing is, like, a few months beforehand, like, Vince Russo's like, I want to make this guy the world champion, bro. I swear to God, he will get over as the world champion. But, bro, you got to believe me, bro. <laughs> oh, bad stuff. I'm looking forward to that then. Oh, I've got a couple of questions to send your way, so I'll, I'll hit you up on, on Twitter for that. Um, everyone can find you on Twitter as well. Um, make sure you check out then Now Whatever on Twitter and obviously listen to the, the show and read the blog as well, so all very good stuff there. Um, other than that, I'm actually going to be possibly a little light on output for the next couple of weeks as I travel to Sydney on Sunday for a football course. So um, this might be the only episode for a couple of weeks, but fear not, I will hopefully still be alive unless the plane goes down, in which case you might hear about it on the news. Um, <laughs> I will um, be back in touch in a couple of weeks and I, we've got quite a bit coming up when I do come back, obviously. We're going on to the Monday Night War fairly soon. Richie and I are embarking on a wonderful 80s journey through 80s wrestling. Um, we've got quite a bit of new primetime wrestling added to the, the network this week as well, so I'm going to have to hit him up about watching some of that. We've actually... 
They've gone as far as where Primetime becomes the Bobby Heenan show for a while. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so there's some really cool stuff there. I think we're going to... The next one will be the Survivor Series 87 up against Starcade that Vince got all the pay-per-view companies to have to pick over. So that's going to be a good show as well. Oh, yes. And um, from there, we're on in 1996. We're nearly at wrestlemania we're in the february spot where we just were here for 96 so carl and i will be doing the february pay-per-views and then from there we're heading to wrestlemania good stuff when i come back it's going to be busy 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 (laughs) sounds like a good trip yeah unless the plane yeah i don't know i don't know why i said that i'm already scared of flying i really don't need to add that into my thoughts i'm not i'm not jim Cornette scared of flying but i don't enjoy it all good, though. No, thank you very much for coming on again, Duncan. It's been highly enjoyable, so hopefully this will... Oh, pleasure as always. This should be out sometime later in the week, early next week, our time from now, so no one knows when this was recorded, so it'll be out in about five minutes. <laughs> and we'll be good as gold. And thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, catch us on Twitter, Facebook, or leave five-star reviews on iTunes for each of our shows. Uh, that's always very much appreciated, and I will certainly... Be sure to read it out on the show and get you on the show if you want to read it out yourself. So, good times and thank you all again. Brand new, brand new, brand new, brand new, brand new. You don't like it unless you might see me in my whip with my head pumping my shit. You don't like it, get off my dick, nigga. I don't like it unless it's you might see me in my wig with my bitch pumping my brand new shit. You don't like it, get off my wig. They say your attitude determines your latitude. I'm high as a motherfucker, fly as a motherfucker. And still the motherfucker you love to hate, but can't because you love what I make. Now ain't that about a bitch. And I'ma talk shit until I'm out of hits. They don't wanna turn these speakers up. They claim I ain't deep enough. All that talking I feed off of. Keep it up. I'm relaxed. And my feet is up I'm leaving you haters like when Shaq left the Lakers just to heat it up I state the stats to stunt I don't need the front Make black history a day I don't need a month The survey says by the streets according Kanye just important as Michael Jordan was to the NBA when he was scoring Ralph Lauren was boring before I wore him in I don't like it unless it's Brand new. You might see me in my Weird with my Bitch pumping my Brand new. Shit You don't like it get off my Brand new. No way, I don't want it unless it's You might see me in my Whip with my Bitch, bumpin' my Shit, you don't like it, get off my Bitch, some women hit the mall And some shop at the thrift store Some of them mix and match and make it look like they get more Some of y'all know you wear 16 Squeezing it to a 6 Damn, what you make them jeans rip for? I guess she looking for a brand new man Who ain't always gotta sit down Cause he can't stand you Boo, this the brand new jam to dance to Why you giving me Head like shampoo. Come as you came, skip the brand name. I won't brand you. What you do here, stay here like Cancun. Besides, your breast is augmented. I like things authentic. Look at all my whips, they're all vintage. I got a loft with a view of the sea. See, I take some old shit and make it new for me. Pimp it out like exhibit to the oomph degree. Why well, spin an arm and a leg? We can kick it for free. And see, I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my whip with my head pumping my. Shit, you don't like it, get off my dick, nigga I don't like it unless it's You might see me in my Wig with my Bitch
bitch pumping my brand new shit. You don't like it, get off my brand new. Thing. And I say bustin' in the hit em. Fuck the cynicism. I'm quick to give y'all niggas constructive criticism. Like, wait, you basically suck. His mother said, my son wanna rhyme. I'm like, ma'am, I don't agree with that decision. Nothing against him. But if he step, I gotta diss him. I listen to that weak shit, all of it. I can't follow it. Excuse me, I'm whack close to tolerant. I work too hard to get my baby ball and kid. Nine to fives had me blue collar popping it. Now I'm in the club and look who I get it popping with. Me and Ye go back like cool cuts. He hooked me up as long as I don't ask for too much. But even he know best laying it down. Cause it's just the old beat he had laying around. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my brand new. Red with my brand new. Bitch pumping my brand new. shit. You don't like it, get off my brand new. Kanye, I don't want it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my brand new. Whip with my brand new. Bitch pumping my brand new. shit. You don't like it, get off my brand new. Big homie, I don't want it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my brand new. Whip with my brand new. Bitch pumping my brand new. shit. You don't like it, get off my brand new. Dick.